Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Wednesday, July 5th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. I guess I accidentally hit the live button, didn't realize we'd started. (laughs) You get so comfortable doing this, it's funny, you just kind of forget. But I have a really important show today, aside from the, the start Really important stuff to get into, a lot of content. I'm going to do my best to get it done as you know, concisely as possible. But we're going to talk about main, some, a few main topics today. We're going to talk about, in, in, about this order uh, in uh, some censorship to open up that I think is really important, or rather not censorship, but more so the kind of censorship industrial complex and how it's building, really concerning ways. It overlaps with, with Twitter, but it's, it's much larger than that. We're going to talk about, uh, I, I've been mispronouncing it, I've been told, uh, Janine, as opposed to Jenin, in Palestine. And we've already touched on this, but I think it's important to really display what's going on. It's just, it's one of those unnerving situations that is just a complete double standard with everything else we talk about in the world, in, coming from U.S. foreign policy perspective, and just that the international community is unsurprisingly absolutely silent on the undeniable war crimes that are taking place. And we're going to go over that today. We're going to talk about France, dive a little deeper on this topic today with a really great article that we're going to get into and some more overlap to how this might, how, how else this might be going down in regard to the Western empire kind of discussion and in, in what Macron specifically might be doing. France more broadly might be doing to kind of draw the ire of the U.S. empire. But also, and, and that's in, in conjunction with the other things we've already discussed, and I'll touch on it as we go through. I don't think it's just one thing happening here. I don't think it ever really is anymore. We're also going to talk about the very alarming, I mean, it's, it's an alarming, it's very common to be quite honest, but just the, the frustrating, from my perspective, always present misinformation clouding, not the kind of misinformation that they care about, the kind that they love and use and actively promote, that... You know, like that France is apparently now an Islamic caliphate. Did you hear that? That's coming from a lot of big accounts or the reality that this is all about immigration and it's just because they're present and because they're inherently bad and that it's just really, really disconcerting. And we'll go through that. You may disagree with me on my stance, but I think it's important. We always remember, just like we talk about with the trans conversation or anything else or I mean, literally any topic. If there is one person, I mean, I made this comment all the time during COVID-19, which I know a lot of you. Some people are saying the mic levels look a bit low. Let me double check really quickly. Hello, hello. No, it looks good to me. <laughs> Let me know if you guys are having trouble hearing me. But, <clears throat> okay, good. Uh, but anyway, now that, uh, well, thank you guys. I think I just lost where I was on that point, but thank you for letting me know anyway. Uh, let's see, France, we were talking, I just wanted to, I was opening up anyway, but I, my point was, yeah, we'll go through France in general. We're going to go through that discussion. And, oh, it was about the, you know, the misinformation, but as well as the, you know, kind of bigotry coming from perspectives that all these people are the reason certain things are happening. It has nothing to do with foreign policy, but it's, you know, a lot of moving parts involved in, in what's happening here. Oh, what I was saying was I made this comment about the COVID-19 discussion where, and, and I, the point was that most of you would agree, if you might, you may disagree with maybe the immigration perspective, but I make the same argument in a context of COVID and it makes sense. It's the logic that makes sense. And that is that if there's one person that is being harmed by this, that has to matter, right? 
It's not that we just go, oh, well, that doesn't matter. It's larger. The point is, if it's hurting somebody, we have to acknowledge that, stop and address that correctly. So the same thing in the trans conversation, right? Well, if kids are being harmed, is it 50% of them? Is it one? If it's even one, then we have to say, well, this is possible. And these kids need to know that because that's not what's really happening. It's much, much more concerning than that. We'll get into that covering the Philly shooter and a lot of different topics under that. But in regard to the France discussion, we need to remember or every conversation that we don't we should never broad stroke an entire group of people. We all used to remember that that was just ignorance, even if in most cases there's some there's some truth to hyperbole. Or, or, you know, these kind of things, there's some truth to it. That's why it's generally there. So you can point out that there are, maybe are some immigrants that are coming over, taking advantage or choosing to do things because they're angry what happened to their, because of what happened to their country due to foreign policy, or maybe just because they want to. And maybe you have a video showing that. Does that mean that everybody there who looks like them is doing the same thing? Well, no. And that's a really, really ignorant and just stupid argument to make that is based on opinion. And I would argue based on propaganda and foreign and predominantly Western propaganda. So I think a lot of people out there that are choosing to follow a certain narrative or in, inadvertently or maybe intentionally just out agents of the agenda, agents of the establishment, because that's an important thing to realize. There's a lot of people out there spreading fake information around this. That is a real thing that is not being highlighted by the corporate media. Now, why would that be? I, I won't be able to think about that. We're going to also talk about Zaporozhye power plant, the pending false flag that seems very apparent. They've been saying it was supposed to happen Jan, like first it was July 4th, and then it was sort of overnight on July 5th. And I don't know if that means it was supposed to happen early this morning or if it's going to happen tonight. But, you know, there's a lot of talk about this. There is a lot of things coming from uh, both Zelensky and Putin, or rather Russia and, and Ukraine. So it's not like it's a non-conversation, but we'll get into it. You guys can decide for yourselves. I'm genuinely pretty concerned about this just because these are very serious actors, the people, the Azov movement that could take pretty alarming action. And we know that the, I mean, we'll all get into it. We go through it. The arms defense community is very proud about what's going on in Ukraine. And I'll show you why we're going to finish with the transgender conversation, but start with the shooter that just took place in Philadelphia and the interesting coverage from the corporate media, both apparently, you know, reasonably light or flimsy evidence in regard to whether or not this person was a black lives matter activist or whether or not he was a transgender person. But very clearly, I can show you that the evidence is enough to where if this conversation was reversed and it was something that they wanted, that it was just a person. And I said, that is a man. And the argument would be, well, you don't. It, the point is, the it's interesting the way it's framed when it's something that they don't want to be a transgender person or a Black Lives, member activ Black Lives Matter activist. And I'll go through the evidence. You can decide for yourself. I think it's very obvious to me if somebody is dressing and, and as, and again, I'll go through it when we get to it. But I think it's frustrating that people will choose to play double standards when it suits their agenda. And guys, that is the two-party paradigm in spades. But let's start today with something I just was really, really proud to, to show you guys. It, this Ben Swan put this out today, and it says, My friend T-Lab is one of the smartest people on the web. Every time I watch his show, I feel more informed and ready to weigh in on the issues of the world. To find his content 100% censorship-free, follow him on Sovereign here. And I please do. Sovereign is an up-and-coming platform, guys, that I am absolutely proud to be one of the earliest members of because I keep saying this. They have done everything right. And there's a reason that they have, you know, they've, lo they've lost a lot of momentum because they didn't use Amazon cloud services. And they did, you know, like Rumble, for example, is 
exactly like YouTube. And I don't even understand why we can't re-ask why the same people who are investing or funding advertising over there don't care of those things. Remember, they were the ones that made people, they were, they were, at least we were told, they said, YouTube, censor this stuff. So they acted like their hands were tied. Well, why isn't that happening over there? There's even more views happening over there right now. That's very alarming, isn't it? I think we're being kind of kettled into Twitter and Rumble in different places that these things, these rugs will be pulled out. I could be wrong. I really hope that I'm wrong. On that note, though, Sovereign is a fantastic platform, and I've been saying this long before Ben gave me a shout-out. But to me, you know, as much as people may make fun, like I'm patting myself on the back here, this is a proud moment for me. I've got to be honest. This is like this is like going to go up on my wall next to the first interview I ever did with Court James Corbett. <laughs> it's just, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ben. I think he's a very important person in this conversation, and he's been standing up for the truth for a long time. So I'm just proud of that. I really am. So thanks for the shout-out, Ben. It means a lot to me. Now let's talk a few couple points about Twitter and different things, then we'll kind of get into the, the first little segment here of some videos about the censorship conversation. I didn't know this had been happening again. We've always seen BitChute and like Off Guardian, a couple of the places, even T-Lab for a minute, where they had that weird like, oh, warning, don't click on this link kind of thing. And it's just blatant suppression censorship. Because it wasn't an individual video, it was just the whole platform. And there's nothing wrong with these platforms. They have the same kind of, v, um, um, I was going to say VPN, but I was... Uh, um, Help me out in the chat. What's the, the, the protective the little lock symbol up here on the URL? I don't know why I'm blanking on the, what it means, but they have all the right things, the security needed for websites like every other website does, all the high-level stuff, and yet they still put it out. Now, this person says, day six now, on July 4th, of BitChute links in general being so dangerous that you have to post them via Telegram. Like, I tried it today. Actually, I think I, yeah, my link, I included it down there. You literally can't post BitChute links on Twitter. How is that even remotely freedom of speech or reach for that matter? I just think this is so blatant. Can we, st again, just take a moment and stand back and realize that everything that was promised didn't happen? We got screenshots of things that we mostly already knew, some of which I did think was interesting, but we never saw source material, which should matter to any honest person. Anyone. And then, of course, we saw Matt Taibbi get kind of kicked to the side. Now he's speaking out about how Twitter is not what we thought it was. And where are all these high-level right-wing supporters that were screaming that we were wrong about source material? Not a single one of them that I've seen has had the courage to stand up and say, well, it looks like it didn't happen the way we swore that it would. Because that's always what happens. They're, not, they're standing on the next agenda right now, screaming that France is a caliphate, right? That's the kind of, they just keep pushing. And these are the kind of people that I'm screaming we need to be careful about. Maybe they don't know that they're wrong or maybe they don't care. But the bottom line is there's far too many of that happening and always it's a two-party paradigm. Back to this point. This is happening right now. And you can see I posted this today, tried to share one of my BitChute. Uh, Brock put up a couple of great clips on BitChute, Fauci, Hotez, and COVID-19 funding. And it says, quite literally, we can't complete this request because this link has been identified by Twitter or our partners, you know, like the ADL, as being potentially harmful. It's not just the title, guys. You have to understand, this is BitChute. Try it yourselves, unless it's changed all of a sudden. But Twitter is just kind of a dumpster fire right now for most people. I haven't even talked about it. I, got, I went into it on, on the AIM Wake Up Tuesday. But I, I just don't think it's as important, quite frankly, until these things really kind of flesh out, other than just censorship, which is important, but there's so much going on right now. But we have the, I guess it's the, you know, the, the quick, the long short of it is that ultimately they reduced your ability to engage or even read tweets at a general level, but as well as post if you don't have your blue check. 
Now, but what's weird is I'm having trouble. I'm in that weird limbo where I've got the check. I've never paid for it, but they pretend that I don't in any other context. I don't have long videos, long posts. So you explain that to me. I get I've never once paid for it. I tried. I'm not being very transparent about that. I told you I would when if I got my account back, I paid for it or I signed up for it. <laughs> they never charged me. Got the blue check after a week and it just that stayed there. I've reached out to them just because I want to be able to have the subscriptions and nope, nothing. So it's weird as people, even in our community, are saying, I can't even access Twitter. I can't get this to work. Nothing. It's all over. I showed you the videos where I'm trying to refresh tweets that I held off to the side, and they just don't load. So I'm losing all this content. Something's going on, guys. And this is not about, uh, what was it, the, the bit rate, or not bit rate, but um, rate limit. That's what they're saying. Is he saying basically people arguing that they tried to do this to reduce the ability of censorship kind of industrial complex assets to kind of just constantly troll the internet and uh, re uh, what's the I'm blanking all my terms today? I'm going to say scan just because I can't think of the right word. But, you know, they're they're basically just looking throughout all of Twitter, looking for different posts, just using bots, and then trying to censor things based on algorithmic. You know, looking at words, looking at content, and this arguably reduces or stops that. But at the same time, it clearly is affecting literally everybody. Now they've blocked in Twitter for the most part. You have to be signed up to be to access it, which literally undermines the entire point of what Twitter is. And then on top of that, they, they've now made it to where, like, because of that, you can't share outside of it. You, I mean, there's so many things that are happening right now that are screwing up the real, the reason that Twitter is what it is or was. And I think that's really important to understand. Nick points out that he's funny how this, I mean, this like, I, I just don't even point half of this stuff out. I, it's from my perspective, it seems to be happening to a few people, but he tried to go uh, turn off notifications or have, he, can, he can only turn on notifications for other people, but not me. It's not even a part of the options. <laughs> I just think that's pretty ridiculous. But this is just a point somebody made. I really agree with this is saying Twitter CEO Linda Yaccarino on limiting tweets users can read. You need to make big moves to keep strengthening the platform. Well, that's just a bl- platitude that means nothing like, OK, so you. So by that and the point was what she said, which I love, of course, makes perfect sense for a platform dependent on ad revenue to throttle users access or even more so to throttle people coming in to look at it. Because you realize even if they don't sign up for it, if they look at a tweet that still generates ad revenue for the people that are paying Twitter to put it up. And now apparently today they're supposed to be giving revenue to people with blue checks, but of course I'm never going to see that. So think about what that really means. Do you really believe that if their entire platform was dependent on what they say it is, that they would kneecap their entire organization no guys because it's not about revenue this is about your data he was very clear about that they are mining you guys and they are kettling everybody into very specific ways i'm right now wondering whether twitter is different for everybody right now i mean really think about that i mean think about just for fun and i don't think this but just hypothetically what if we were all existing in our own unique version where people you follow are there but everything else is all bots and fake and whatever else. And everybody has their own weird version of that. That would be possible today. So just think about the kind of thing that they're working us towards as they're building this complex. It scares me. She, she says, totally believable rationale for the platform melting down and not at all made up. I actually agree with what she's putting out there. This is something else. It concerns me. And then some other notes in general, just to point out, this, that, this just, I think is crazy. Biden backs the plan to block the sun. You know, that old fake news conspiracy theory that Bill Gates has been screaming about? It's real. I mean, it's been there for a long time. They're talking about actually putting things in the sun or in the sky to, you know, limit or block the sun because climate change. 
these people either want to destroy humanity or are too stupid to realize that they're being played by somebody who does. This is concerning to me. If you want to read more about this, since I'm not going to focus on it today, I'll include the link to a lot of our coverage about geoengineering. You know, that totally fake story that they're literally talking about doing right there. Crazy. Also, on the note of East Palestine, you might have seen that Ohio Governor DeWine is asking President Biden to declare East Palestine a disaster area. You know, like all the people they were asking him to do. Oops, I just, okay, good. What's funny to me is how could, so think about it. So you, you wait four months to declare an emergency. Obviously, if it was an emergency, you would have known this very early on. And then you realize that it says right down here, he's asking Joe Biden to do it now. But it says today was the deadline, apparently, for FEMA following a previous extension request. What? So you're telling me that they just are extending their potential to declare an emergency for their own benefits and reasons? What about the people of East Palestine that are asking for this? And if this, and look, I'm not saying we want this, to be clear. I quite frankly think declaring an emergency is par- partly what they want. That's just my opinion. But either way, the point is the people on the ground are struggling and they're asking for this because what it does in one way, the rest of it I find to be n- not beneficial, but it opens up more funding that maybe they'll see some of. Why that needs to be done, what they're basically saying here is that Norfolk Southern has paid off all of the state and, and government stuff and like are, almost started like wash its hands of the situation. It, aren't they the ones that swore up and down they would take care of all these people? It kind of makes you sick when you realize what's going on, but now they're maybe they're going to declare an emergency. I mean, it's just it's, if they're extending it and waiting, the point is that's not because of the people, guys. I just think that grosses me out when we know what's going on there. I'll follow up on that like I have been. Justin Hart points out that there was a, and this was the point we're going to get into the first segment. You guys have seen this, I'm sure. A judge has ruled, and as I understand it, it's only an injunction, so it's not permanent. But that ultimately, just kind of summing up this, wrote a whole bunch here, and this is what you get when you've got the blue check, which I do, but don't get the access to this benefit. Which, by the way, I don't think is a benefit. I feel like most people don't read when there's long tweets because we're so used to not. I'm like, oof, I don't want to read that. (laughs) That's too long. But the point is, you know, speaking of my long shows, the point is a judge just ruled that government can no longer censor you, flag your post, blah, 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 blah. Now, it's not necessarily they ruled that. I mean, it did. I mean, really, it did. You can read this. It's really interesting. Here's the link for the whole thing. It's very almost like poetic. He's talking about all sorts of stuff and kind of like make it. Now, the whole point, though, is a Trump appointed judge is stopping and is ruining national security because free speech. Of course, free speech is the bad guy in the situation. You know, the same free speech they swear they're trying to protect. But the bottom line is that this has been paused, and the idea is essentially these groups, the government is not able to basically reach out to these social media companies on behalf of the government, which I'm sure there's a way around that loophole, or they probably just don't care. But on top of that, they're not supposed to be like, the idea is this supposed to kind of like put a stick in the spokes of the censorship complex, which is really what this judge was kind of highlighting. And on that note, let's watch a few clips and talk about this to start, and then we'll jump into what's going on in East in, in, in Palestine, because I think this is interestingly related. And we're talking about the way any, any of these conversations, right? Whether we're talking about East Palestine, transgender conversation, foreign policy, they're desperately losing control of these conversations. And that's what this is really all about. Even France, we saw that kind of pushed in. Now you're going to see an interesting part of that when we get to France and the next segment after that. But this is Douglas pointing out the folks at CNN used to call government collusion to halt dissent online a right-wing conspiracy theory. Right? Remember that? Like, you know, you love how the things that are ridiculously fake, like election manipulation is fake and then not whenever they want it to be. Whatever. It's 
Everybody sees this, guys. There's only a limited group of people that are stupid or dishonest that are willing to not see it or ignore it. Everybody realizes when they go, this is fake, and then 30 seconds later go, that's real when it's the other side doing it. It just shows you that, hey, my point is we all see it. So at some level, we all kind of know that this is not real, or a lot of this stuff is all political, and it's really just trying a narrative driving certain things they want. But now free speech as a whole is right wing. Listen to what they have to say about this. It's actually, it just shows you at the crux of the point that they don't care. Free speech is a roadblock to what's going on. And we know that they've been calling this out for a long time. Going back to that video we played a while ago. You know, we see a threat building and we just don't know how to stop it, right? One of the main points of that video before all of this, that was kind of building to the domestic threat point, was that she, she was arguing that there's things in our way, right? They're, they're not breaking the law. They know how to go just below it. Okay, so what you're saying is no one's breaking the law, but we don't like what they're doing. So let's change the law so we can. Yep, that's literally what they're talking about. Listen to him in the earlier clip I'm talking about, but also in this one. Let's take a listen. Judge, but this judge was confirmed 98 to zero by the Senate. Just reading the words in this injunction, a, quote, massive effort by the defendants to suppress speech based on content. Those are the judge's words calling the present case, quote, arguably involves the most massive attack against free speech in the United States history, Ellie. Yeah. Yeah, because they're talking about the entire aspect of what's been going on on social media. Now, whether or not we ever pretended Twitter screenshots for proving anything, we already knew this. We have seven different examples of how they've been caught doing this. So the point is, the judge, finally, somebody stood up and said, this is obviously completely counter to the concept of free speech, which means it is counter to the Constitution, which means that is the only thing as a judge I'm supposed to be doing, upholding the Constitution. And listen to the way they respond to this. It's a dramatic uh, decision by this judge. If you read through it, he's citing to literature and George Washington and Ben Franklin. Here's what really is astonishing to me. This is a conservative ideology that clearly comes through in this decision. It's a free speech. The idea that free speech is being attacked is a conservative ideology. It's like calling things that we point out right wing talking points, which he also does. Like it's not possible for somebody outside the paradigm to come to these conclusions. Sort of how like Muslims are not actually able, according to these people, not this very room, but two-party illusionists, able to come to the conclusion there's something going on wrong in the trans movement right now. It has to be that they're blinded by talking points. That was Jen Psaki making that argument with literally zero evidence. Conservative political ideology, right? We saw some of the quotes questioning vaccines, questioning masks, conservative talking points. Okay, right. So you're telling me literally nobody is questioning those things that isn't conservative or being played by conservative talking points? Do you realize how insulting that is to literally everybody? You're all a bunch of idiots and you only know what to say when you listen to the people that we point, the people in the upper echelons of the conversation. That's quite literally how they view us, guys. These people... These, these, these little suits sitting in their tables with their weird little chairs. They think they're so much higher than you. And it's embarrassing because you know what? Somewhere in their minds, they know that this is changing or already has. I don't, is anybody, like, does anybody even watch this stuff anymore that's not on some TV in the airport? I, I mean, that's why these things are failing and they're shuffling everything up. It's pretty sad. But the ruling itself is the opposite of judicial conservatism. This is one of the most aggressive, far-reaching rulings you'll ever see. What this judge is purporting to do is to micromanage, really, the day-to-day interactions between essentially the entire executive branch, all these agencies that are listed as defendants, and the leading social media companies. And 
no, no. See, all he's saying is you can't do something that is counter to the Constitution. No one's going to micromanage. They're going, you're breaking the law. Stop breaking the law. That's pretty much all he had to write. But apparently that's the problem is that they are aware, or at least they're being driven because of the people, the, the teleprompters, whoever's writing it for them, to point out that this is a problem because it risks the issue that they really care about, which is the control of information, the control of our speech. In the actual temporary injunction, the judge basically says you're not allowed, administration, to talk to these social media companies right. about any protected free speech except for cybersecurity threats, national security threats, criminal threats. But where's the line? Who's going to police this? Trump. Okay, so first of all, what he's saying, I will, let's just take the second point. For, think about that. So but except for these things, doesn't that cause a problem for everybody? Even those that are like... The two-party illusionists clearly would look at this and say the left is trying to go after this and it's the right trying to protect. That's not true. That's just the, the kind of childish narrative thrown over this so it makes sense for the paradigm. But really, if they're still protecting the things they said, at the, all that really did was open the door for those loopholes. So now as long as you argue this is in national security interest, well, there you go. They just gave them that opening. You see my point? So this is starting to feel almost just like more narrative. This feels like a moving the piece forward. It's going to go back and it's going to go forward. So this, they stand up and they go, no, you can't do it. But in these cases, you can. So they keep doing it, acting like everything is national security. Oh, shocking. That's new to us. No, it's not. We hear that every day. And then people stand up and say, but we just said this. And they go, okay, but we took a step. And it goes, it's, it's kind of like giving you, like we always talk about, they sell you an, a, a version of it that's way more than they want. So you push back and they settle in the middle, which is what they always really wanted. And you go, oh, thank God. <laughs> but we end up with something we ultimately didn't want. That's what this feels like to me. There's no way you can pretend that you can say, you know, you can't violate free speech except, <laughs> well, there you go. That's not absolute free speech. That's Even that is counter to the Constitution. But then last point I love, which Du made a good point about, what, what do you mean who's going who's to manage this? Again, the, the illusion they're selling you, and they are, either, they, are, they are either that uninformed about how this would work or don't care, is that they're acting like there's some kind of dynamic here. The guy is simply saying you just can't, at least while this injunction's in place, you can't contact them and petition them upon, based on free speech. That's it. It's over. There's no micromanaging there. Here's what Doom said. Oh, actually, hold on. I think I went. Uh, here we go. He said, where's the line? Who's going to police that? He said the line was the three things you name before crying like a child. Right. You know, the things in the Constitution. Police what exactly? Words you don't like? Like, that's the other thing they're saying, right? Because ultimately, my point first, which is that there's really no policing necessary, but on top of that, he's talking about free speech. He's literally saying on the record, which we all know, well, who's going to stop them from saying those things? That's what he means. Kind of odd that they don't mind that the government was caught violating the First Amendment, right? Yeah, that's, that should have been the whole story. The government violates the Constitution. No, these people are a joke. All of corporate media, all sides, in my opinion, including the still backed by Fox News, Tucker Carlson show is still part of the same game. Here, this says, Twitter appears to be failing to confront the, a dark reality that the platform is increasingly being used as a vehicle for disseminating online hate and abuse, you know, as in otherwise words, free speech. Now, I'm not saying I agree with the people the screaming things that are hate speech or whatever you want to call that. Hate speech is, is just an arbitrary term. If it's breaking the law, point it out. People are allowed to say mean things, including things that you would call hate. It might be in the process of them speaking. <laughs> That's just called free speech, guys. And I'm happy to point out how disgusting these people are. But I will always protect their right to be the first free speech. 
It's amazing that we even have to debate this today. But here is e-safety commissioner speaking about recalibrating freedoms, you know, at the World Economic Forum discussion. Um, where we're, we have increasing polarization everywhere and everything feels binary when it doesn't need to be. So I think we're going to have to think about a recalibration of a whole range of human rights that are playing out online, you know, from freedom of speech to the freedom to, you know, to be free from on- online violence or the uh, right of data protection. Right. So your right to data protection, your right to free speech. We got to rethink those things. Right. So what point did we ever pretend that it was okay for a bunch of unelected technocrats in a room to decide what we should get? You know, kind of like, well, decide whether or not the Constitution is still valid. Let's put it that way. That's what they're doing. What do you mean reevaluate? Because, see, what they're trying to do is put this at a global scale, which then kind of makes the Constitution moot. Trust me, that's what's happening. And it's not going to work for people that believe in this Constitution and believe in this country. Not the government, the country, which are very different things. But they're trying. We're going to reevaluate them. We're going to tell you what your new t- guidelines are. And they're going to come right from the, w- from the WHO and the global governance that they're telling you needs to happen. That's right from Klaus Schwab's mouth. Klaus Schwab's mouth. Well, here's another clip that makes me really concerned. And this one relates to a few different topics from today. UK politician Damien Collins says he just wants to protect kids, but he doesn't. He wants to turn the internet worldwide into a police state. And they're using the concept of child pornography as a, as a way to basically force this in. When truly, as we can prove, or rather not even child pornography, just child abuse, we can prove to you that they clearly do not care about that. We can show you the transgender conversation where they clearly don't care about what's happened to these children. Or we can show you how they've actively covered up child pornography, child abuse for decades. You remember Jimmy Seville? These people in the UK have been, or the government entities in the UK have been covering this up. And that's one example for a long time. Same with the U.S. government. For the Franklin scandal, all these different conversations we could throw up. There are a million examples. So it's really insulting when they point at this and go, oh, we got to protect the kids. But here, take this dangerous vaccine. They're lying. They don't care about you or your children. They care about using both of you. No more private messages because criminals use them. They say, what's next? Cameras in every home? Warrantless searches? Please stop this maniac. Well, guess what? What he just said was literally what we just told you Ireland is doing right now. This is not stopping unless we stop it. And I'm not talking about violence, guys, except for the fact that apparently our words are violence now, which is the whole point. Here's what they have to say. Demand that everyone in the UK download spyware that checks their messages before they're sent against a database of what is permissible to say and send and what is not permissible. And that is a precedent that authoritarian regimes are looking to the UK to set, to point to a liberal democracy that was the first to expand. Except that's not true, right? They're looking to the other authoritarian group, which is the UK or the US, to to define what they're allowed to do, because they're all looking to the same direction. Surveillance in the terms of the UN Human Rights Commissioner, this is un unprecedented paradigm shifting surveillance and paradigm shifting not in the good way what do you do if there's if there are child abuse images being shared on signal what is your you know dealing what about the child abuse images on twitter right now or the child abuse images on youtube right now what about the child abuse images you can find all over the place that they don't care about but man do they care about what's going on on whatsapp or what's going on signal or anywhere else where they're having a hard time watching what you're doing And even then, how much you want to bet it still happens and they just censor you for talking about vaccines. Like, that's where this is going. And I really do not think these people care. With law enforcement on that point, or do you just not know? Look, 
this this gets down to the brass tacks and the facts of you know the rules of mathematics, the rules of physics. There is either encryption that protects everyone. But in- there's child abuse images that could be shared on your platform that you wouldn't know about or you would know about, but you won't tell law enforcement. Sorry, I was muted there. That I, I, I'm going to make fun of the woman, the woman interviewing in a second. <laughs> it's the one that was doing that ridiculous Jordan Peterson interview that kind of will always haunt her and probably, well, anyway, the point is she cut off a very important point right there that she kind of goes on to make again, but the reality is that it was she never gets to really make it the way she was about to, which is you basically have encryption for everybody or encryption for nobody. And the idea is that they want it for nobody. Right. But what but that's not really what's going to happen. Like this is that's just her point she was going to make. But you have to think about how that's being framed because they don't care about keeping you safe from outside attacker. They care about keeping uh, keeping themselves safe from you. That's how this is perceived. But of course, she says, well, what you just don't know. And again, I'll make fun of this one in a minute because she'll actually do what she always does in a second. Repeatedly, it's how she interviews. There is either a backdoor that lets me and the Russian government right. So and hackers and again, we again, can't, she look, we can't. I can't stand this. You let her finish her point. And I think there's a reason she doesn't. She keeps kind of stopping that point because you don't want to hear the nuance. You don't want to hear that. Well, what you what do you, you want her to give you an, a, a, key, a buzzword answer? Oh, so no, you're not going to stop child porn. Got it. Put that out. The answer she's trying to give you is that, look, there's either one or one or other one or another way to go. If we keep that open, then that's open to everybody. If not, right, you get the point. But it's interesting how clearly she didn't want that to continue, in my opinion. Encryption so either permits me and is everyone being... to look yeah. or no one to look. So is if a, child is abuse a... is being shared on your platform, you Jeez. don't know. We, we absolutely cannot know. And She's not even listening to the point she's making, and that is exactly what this lady does. Look, right. this is concerning, but there are other law enforcement tools. Look, the, the independent review of children's social services, the UK's own, recommended $2.6 billion in funding over the next six years for child, you know, for, for child welfare mm-hmm. services. These are the essential services that prevent abuse. What did they get? About 7% of that. So, you know, I, I champion people like Damien right. and others. The point is clearly they don't care, and there's your example, right? That's, but they care about this because they're trying to stop you from being able to communicate where they can't see. Really putting the pedal to the metal on this issue and demanding that the government do more. I, I think this, Kathy, your question I think is a really important one. I think people need to know, and the regulator will have the, the right to ask these questions, is you have in your terms of services signal... This is a good question. ...regulations on legal and appropriate use of the service. You don't allow people to use signal to break the law. So how do you enforce that? What do you do? How do you enforce your, ter- your, own, your own terms of service? I mean, we can get into a rabbit hole of how one nonprofit enforces or doesn't enforce its policies, but right now what we're looking no, that's at not is a rabbit a hole, though, is it? It's quite fundamental, I mean, because I think it's really important that you have those terms of service to say you don't allow illegal use. WhatsApp have similar terms of service um, as well. And I think it's important that people understand how, how is it enforced. Absolutely. And, that, you know, enforcement happens through law enforcement agencies. Enforcement happens through other mechanisms. We are not an enforcement agency. We are. Now, that's a really important point. And I think she answered it great. I think what the, I think the problem is that people are now under the impression and because because of propaganda and government in, in you know, impression that, that the government has to do so or rather that they are accountable in regard to what other people are saying because they own this platform. And you may think the same, but really think about it for a second. What she's saying is we're not law enforcement. We've got our t- terms of service. And sure, if, if somebody's breaking the law, 
then police can hold them accountable for it, and you can well, they'll be removed from the platform. Now, you, again, you may disagree with that, but really think about it for a second. At what point did we start allowing these these platforms to be the law enforcement arm to a degree? I, I mean, or however you want to view that. Now, aside from all this, we have to realize that it is important to not allow some kind of dark corner where people, these disgusting pedophiles and creeps out there can, can do whatever they're doing. But realize that there are other mechanisms, as she's saying, that are supposed to be stopping this outside of their censorship tactics for the individual platform. Right. Police and investigators. That doesn't seem to be a real high priority. Now, I will point out that during Trump's administration, it did seem to be more of a priority to go after the sexual predators and pedophiles. And they did, but it's clearly diminished now with the Biden administration. But either way, I don't quite frankly think that the government in any side of it cares. I think it's more about doing things for what their audience wants them to do. But you guys can decide for yourself technology platform. We're a nonprofit. And what we are working to do is provide actually private communication. And look, in the history of human communication, for hundreds of thousands of years, the default was private. Right. Yeah, so let we me, can't let, let large tech companies, companies set the yeah. norms for surveillance no. for all right. of us. No, like, you and I both need to check these companies on changing the norms for human communication to be completely surveilled by a handful of companies. What Signal is trying to do is keep the default of privacy that has existed through... And, and, and I, I, many I, I, of your I, I, colleagues I, I, are in yeah. favour of free... That's a great answer, right? So basically think about it. You go back to a time long before, long before, you know, like internet or whatever. So people could meet in the back alley or you could send somebody a private letter and nobody could see it unless the, the post was, right? So that, they have to think about that, that is, there's always a place for things like this to happen. It's sort of the argument of stopping all speech because somebody may say something bad. Right. It's interesting to think about. Now, obviously, there's a huge line here where we could point out there's something that is, you know, for me, it's always children. We've always made this argument that there's there's such an obvious line. That's why I'm so passionate about what's going on with the transgender conversation, because there's something wrong there. But but back to the point about just the speech or about, you know, I guess it is still about speech communicating privately. She's simply saying that it's always been idea. We should have a right to communicate privately. You don't get to say criminals, though. So you don't get to communicate privately. Right. I mean, it's, it's just an interesting, they're playing our own emotions and desires against us because they don't care about stopping those creeps. They care about using that happening to stop you from being able to communicate. That's the real crux of the point here. I think that's really important. Now, that's building, guys. From every which, every angle I can possibly see, they are right now trying, and in France, we just talked about in the last show, right? They are clearly, clearly building the justification to shut down all of your speech under the guise that there's too much misinformation, which again, I think it was Dr. Peter McColl that made this point that it's not even a real thing at the end of the day, right? Especially in science that people can be wrong. People can lie, but at the end of the day, the misinformation for me is probably unique to a government's perspective or authority perspective, because in science in particular, people can put forward thoughts. Maybe it, maybe it challenges the corporate narrative. Maybe they're wrong, but is it misinformation? You, the point is, if you're a discerning individual and you look at the body of evidence, you may see something that looks like an anomaly or many of them. But the point is, you can come to conclusions based on what you can prove. Today, people have been driven to points like Twitter screenshots to blindly take at face value what they're being shown. And that's being used against us. To, you see where this works? It, it's a snowball concept. The two-party paradigm. Guys, I just every time in my mind, there. yep, there's the crux. There's the point. But my going forward, 
forward, here's what's happening in Australia. And we've already seen this multiple times in the U.S. My point is to connect this to the idea that we're one step away, and it's already happened. We saw the Canadian truckers. We've seen no, numerous examples of this. We just saw Nigel Farage in, in, in the U.K., same thing. They're, they are beginning to take action for your finances if they think you say things that are wrong. Now, I don't know if that's how, why this happened, but this is very interesting. It just gives you the example that whether or not you're doing something wrong, whether, it, whether it's even just a glitch, the digital direction is concerning for many, many reasons. I am getting some renos done at home and I needed $3,500 cash. So I went to the bank, but I didn't have my physical card. I thought, oh, that's fine. I'll just go to the teller. The teller proceeds to tell me they don't have cash in the bank anymore. You can only get it out through the, through the ATM. But she said, don't worry, I'll set your card up so you can just tap it in place of your card. I said, oh, okay, great. Anyway, she'd done her bit on the computer and she came with me to the teller to make sure everything was fine. And it just kept giving an error message. It wouldn't even let me get to the point to put my pin in. When I tapped it, it just gave this error message. And she said, I'm really sorry, there's nothing we can do. I was like, what do you mean? I need to get my my money out of my bank account. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, really sorry. Like, we don't carry cash here. Um, she said, if you've got another bank, you can transfer your money to. You can try it with them. So what that really shows you is two things. Is One is it's just that's it's not your money, period. Quite frankly, it's not even there. There's, you know, we know this. There's a fraction of what they're supposed to hold, the fraction of reserve banking and how this works. They don't have what they need. If everybody went at the same time, they don't have it, period. But on top of that, that these people aren't even in control. The woman she's speaking to, how about you, the bank manager? They don't have it there. They're not in control. They are stooge suits, stooge suits. They're sitting there serving you based on what they're told to do. Where is the real control coming from, right? If they can't get you money when you need it as a bank, who is in control? That's alarming. Luckily for me, I am with another bank, so I transferred every single penny out of that account closed the account while I was there and went and got my money at another bank. But it just got me thinking about our banking system and where we're at and how the hell can you go to a bank and not access your own money? Man, yeah, that's, that is crazy. By the way, I just saw somebody comment in the chat. Jacob, by the way, if this is this, I believe this is you. You sent me this absolutely cool coin. It's a silver coin. I keep, it's, I keep it in my pocket because I love what – I always carry something like this just because I like to have a coin on me. But this is – I don't know if you guys can see it. Nah, it looks like the image. Oh, there you go. Basically, you can see a guy hanging from a tree, and it literally says "Banker's Justice." I just, I just love that. And and it's uh, you know, just a cool little silver coin. And I think that's, I just really appreciate sending that. And the reason I'm just pointing it out now live on the show, so don't forget, is that I, I am going to get back to you with what you sent me. I just, I've been busy and I haven't got a chance to, so it's coming. But man, I just, I appreciate that. But I think that that's the kind of direction we need to be going, which is the point I, I pulled it out of my pocket for. We need to you know, go in the direction of sound money. I really believe that. Or just bartering systems. Whatever. That's, it's not that crazy when you really think about it. But anyway, thank you, Jacob. I appreciate that. Last point on this opening segment is just as Sal, Ag- Sal Diagoras points out, every day Donald Trump stays in a race, he can't win. He is a W for Joe Biden and the, the, lib- the libs. Which I just, you know, I love Sal Diagoras, but I'm just like, man, I'm depressed when I see people I like who are still tapped into the two-party illusion and the voting illusion and all the rest of it. But as Graveyard Pirate points out, which I love, every day we spend thinking we can actually vote our way out of this mess is a win for big government. Well said, man. Well said. 
you know, and I just don't know why we can't see this by now, whether it's, you know, both sides seem to be able to acknowledge that the elections can be manipulated, whether by Russia or Dominion voting, machine, whatever your thought is. We all seem to be aware of that. And yet we can't seem to connect the dots when it comes to the next election. I'm not saying there's no, we just give up. I'm saying that there are far more valid. Anyway, I'm not going to get mired in that conversation. You guys, if you've watched this show, I've made that abundantly clear over the years. And I will be talking about it more as we get closer to the election, you know, in a couple of years. But at the end of the day, or a year and a half, it, it, this is the lesser of two evils argument, guys. That's all that is, right? So what do you mean? So he shouldn't run because you're not going to win. Therefore, you know, it's, it's just like, the, like, why do we think that it's only Biden and Trump and, and RFK? Do you realize that there is probably 100,000 more qualified people who are more intelligent with better policies in the world that just aren't politicians? That probably even want to run. I know of some people that tried. I mean, we, how, you know, I, she was running. Not to suggest that I think that's what he is what I just said. I, I think his policies are actually fantastic, but I, I've talked about it before. But what's interesting to me is that he's not discussed. He's not even on the stage or even like the, even this. I mean, even the graphics put up by corporate media include RFK when they all seem to hate him, or at least that's the narrative being put forward. So it's very strange, right? Anyway, not to get mired in this conversation. We just got to start seeing through the illusion, guys. The only way we're going to get out of this. Now, let's talk about Janine in Palestine. This is a really disconcerting conversation because it's like the, it's like the equivalent of, you know, I, I shouldn't even say that. It's such a larger discussion, but in regard to how it's being lied about, the equivalent of the East Palestine thing, right, where we all see this. It's very transparent. The international law is very clear. Even now, the human rights groups are very clear. There is no defending what's happening here. And yet, your government doesn't care. People stay, even, even human rights groups in some ways only speak out when Israel starts. I mean, it's, it, it really makes me unhappy and sad to see how many people are suffering because of two-party politics. But Israel launched a military operation on Janin and commits war crimes with U.S. blessing. He put this out yesterday. Israeli airstrikes rained down on the city of Janin and the nearby Janin refugee camp this Sunday night, killing at least three Palestinians in the initial set of strikes. For hours prior to this, there was a heavy and unusual presence of military attack drones in the skies of the occupied Palestinian city. Israel then decided to strike a building that is open to the public. This stuff is easy to prove, but they're lying about it. You can, you can clearly look this stuff up. Local, and, and the last line is important, located next to two UN facilities and a school, labeling it as the headquarters for the Janine Brigade's armed group. So we're so we're so their argument is that these group these armed groups are operating next door to the UN facilities and that's not something they care about. I mean, it this is there this is why it's so easy to show this because they are as Robert continues to show as he even predicted this would happen in this in this exact way that they're falling apart right now. They they are in a, they are in a bad position and Israel is in a very bad way because they don't as much as they're framing this as some kind of defense movement. This is not what this is. Right. So we have to realize that they're the fact that they're trying to lie so blatantly and it's easy to prove it just shows you they're desperate, like a lot of other conversations. The Israeli military published aerial shots of the street, excuse me, highlighting the building they initially struck, complaining about how such a great a target was placed next to civilian areas, providing no evidence that the site was used by armed groups. And then, of course, not not from. The local people on the ground speaking with multiple agencies, multiple groups. They cared to ask them, of course, because the CNN Fox News of the world don't go ask the people on the ground because that makes sense, right? Many local residents said they denied any occupation in the area. 
or rather occupation. They denied the allegations of the occupation army. Excuse me, I read that wrong. That there is no armed brigades in the area that they struck. Now, there are in Janine refugee camp, but they're saying it's not. Now, of course, they could be lying about that. But if there's no proof, there's no evidence, then what's going on here? Don't we care about that? Isn't this a democracy? Come on, guys. This is such an old, obvious lie. On Monday morning, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu gave a speech in which he stated that the military operation in Janin, quote, will continue as long as it takes to complete the mission, you know, in the refugee camp. However, not specifying what the end goal actually was. It's a really important point. Anywhere you look right now, you there, it's, they, there is not a set goal. There's no set achieve, you know, there's nothing they're trying to achieve here other than punishing these people, which is collective punishment for what just happened before this. Which, which Israel was embarrassed about. In the, official, uh, in the official Israeli propaganda narrative, they have depicted Janine as a hub for terrorism and claimed, once again, that it was the, the right to self-defense, something that the U.S. Biden administration immediately came out to support. Right, so, okay, so explain to me how if nobody attacked them first from Janine, that them invading and bombing Janine is indicative of self-defense. It's not. The only way they make this work, and they realize that even if, they, even if you want to pretend that it's because of the actions of before, they weren't, that wasn't coming out of Janine. The point is that they're punishing this area because they know that's where in one, like one, in one part that the brigades they're trying to punish are present, and the people all around them that allow them to be present. That is collective punishment at its core. It is an international war crime, as is most of what Israel's government does in these areas. But on top of so if it was these people from before, you're choosing to bomb into an area that nothing came out of. That is not self-defense. But the only way they can make the argument is using the Bethlehem Doctrine, which is what the U.S. and the U.K. also do, which is why they support it. Which is that if, they see, if, they, if their intelligence suggests that something might be happening, and that's literally as flimsy, I've read directly from their doctrine. If, these pe- if they simply have a group that's in the area that they have seen in the past would take action, they can bend that into, well, they're about to probably attack, so we need to attack first. That's called self-defense. Preemptive self-defense is a real term they use from that doctrine. Welcome to Orwell's 1984. I mean, this is pathetically sad. They're murdering people and the guys that they have to fight or they're going to fight. And oh, look, all this aside, as I've said a thousand times over, the UN and Geneva Conventions, rather specifically the Geneva Conventions, has maintained, or state, and the UN has maintained, that an occupied territory has the right to self-defense. Actual self-defense. And that, or just, I, I, I stated that wrong. They have a right to armed rebellion. That's directly from the Geneva Conventions. Now realize what they're saying there is it's not if they're attacked. They're already occupied. It's an occupied territory. Now, despite what Israelis, Israeli government and Israelis will tell you, that is the stated reality from the UN and the stated reality according to international law, period. So they have a right to fight, even if they're not attacked first, according to the UN and Geneva Conventions. But apparently they're the ones doing something wrong by being bombed. The White House refused to condemn the documented Israeli attacks on mosques, hospitals, ambulances, journalists, and the murder of unarmed civilians, which you can prove all of them. They just don't even talk about the ambulances being bombed or the different tactics they take. And the U.S. government does the same thing in Yemen and elsewhere, instead giving unequivocal backing to Israel's so-called right to defend itself. Now, I'm not arguing that the Israeli government doesn't have a right to defend itself, but that's not what this is. 
The current military operation has no clear goal, as it is likely that the Netanyahu government is unsure about how to actually solve the problem of the armed groups and certainly doesn't want to get any of its soldiers killed in the process, something that would cost it politically. That's also the problem here is that they know that if they that's why I mean, you would argue, why haven't they, you know, invaded Gaza and taken it because they can't because they've tried and, it, and they've lost both recently and before. Other than the general occupation, and this is what Robert has covered, that they are diminishing in their clout as well as from internally. The hardline ministers in Israel's far right government are themselves illegal West Bank settlers and were pressuring Benjamin Netanyahu and his defense minister to act forcefully against the armed groups following calls for illegally, illegal settler communities to do so. So these are representatives of the government who are calling on civilians who are illegal settlers, according to the international law and the UN, to act. Literally calling on civilians to commit violence against Palestinians. How is that not a crime? But these are government officials, guys, and that really shows you what's going on here. And here, just in case you want to see what's going on, this is how they left this place. A refugee camp full of civilians, women and children. That's what collective punishment looks like. You think that's about trying to take out a couple of people? This is about destroying this area because they're punishing them. It really makes you sad if you have any heart or feeling at all. Ben Gavir, Israel's security minister, stated only a week ago that, quote, this government has killed 120 terrorists in the last six months. There will be more in the future, but more is needed. More is needed. The public wants more, and we are capable of more. The above-mentioned quote stated the total number of Palestinians murdered at the point in the West Bank, including women, elderly people, over 20 children in the statistic, which he can prove, labeling them all terrorists simply because that's what they killed. Sort of like how Obama and, and going forward have simply said, well, if they were present where we bombed, then their, milit- then their uh, what was the term they used, armed combatants. We know that. We've talked about it. So why can't we as Americans step back and realize that these people are very dangerous, all of them, our government? What do you mean if, if they happen to be where you were bombing that they just ha- that then are armed combatants? So if a child is there, yep, armed combatant, that's actually happened. They just take a total number and say there were five armed combatants killed. And then you can later prove that there was three women and one child and maybe a guy. Sometimes not even armed at all. Doesn't matter, though, because... Most of the corporate media just blindly goes along with anything pro-war. Every Palestinian, oh, and then he points out that labeling them all terrorists, it says indicative of the way Israeli politicians think. He says every Palestinian they kill, even little girls who are shot in the back of the head by high, oh, there's a typo there, shoot, by highly trained snipers are considered terrorists. Let me play a video for you real quick. This is how you've seen them, and we've played this before, how they speak about the Palestinians. Now, I'm not going to say you won't find some negative stances taken by Palestinians in regard to Israelis, but that does exist for sure. And it's probably rampant. It is. But the point is that there's only one side that is currently legally occupied, which gives them the legal right to actually act. This is the defense minister, Moshe Yalom, uh, talking just a couple of weeks ago. Israel is going to hurt Lebanese civilians, to include kids of the family. We went through a very long discussion. We did it then. We did it in the Gaza Strip. We are going to do it in any round of hostilities in the future. That's the Defence Minister. 
Uh, this is the uh, uh, military chief of staff, Benny Gantz. The next round of violence will be worse and see this suffering increase. He headed up the military assaults uh, on Gaza, the last uh, two. This is the Minister for Education in the Netanyahu government. There will never be a peace plan with the Palestinians. I will do everything in my power to make sure they never get a state. He also said, if you catch terrorists, you simply have to kill them. I've killed a lot of Arabs in my life, and there's no problem with that. Uh, this is the Minister for Justice. Palestinians are all enemy combatants. This also includes the, mother, the mothers of the martyrs. They should follow their sons. Nothing would be more just. They should go, as should the physical homes in which they, are, which they raised the snakes. Otherwise, more the homes, little snakes more little will be snakes raised there. Be raised there. The homes, women's children. In the last few months. The Israeli minister for defence. Palestinians are beasts. They are not human. Uh, the minister for foreign affairs. CP Hotley, this is the last one. My position is that between the sea and the Jordan River, there needs to be one state only, the state of Israel. There is no place for any agreement of any kind that discusses the concession of Israeli sovereignty over lands conquered in 1967. Now, these are the official statements of several ministers of the current government of Israel. In one case, lands conquered. advocating genocide of all Palestinians, including children, and calling them snakes. Now, can I ask you, Taoiseach, uh, do you not think that if we're defining terrorism, that is the language and thinking of terrorists, that it is absolutely unacceptable in civilized politics, in civilized international relations, for the heads of government of a state that we carry on normal relations with and who you met in Paris to advocate those sort of views when we know they have also led on to the deaths of thousands of Palestinians, uh, innocent men, women and children. What have you to say, Taoiseach, about those sort of views being expressed by the Israeli government? Absolutely nothing. He did absolutely nothing. In fact, it only got worse because they don't care. You can see it on his face, the smug dismissal of everything he's saying. They know it's true. They don't care. It's, it's very unnerving. Now, here is a video of a sniper, as we were referencing, shooting a child and cheering about it, which is completely vindicated, proven. What's embarrassing about it is that the Guardian has to pretend like we haven't verified. Right, because it's common that Palestinians end up on the other side of this barbed wire fence with a sniper rifle, right? And it's just such a sad reality of the kind of corporate media pretending to be journalists. And speaking Israeli, you know, or Hebrew. Yes! For those in the podcast, they're screaming and cheering about aiming at and trying to shoot a child. They acknowledge it's a child, they acknowledge that he's present, and they shoot him in the head and cheer and scream about it. 
There's, there is literally no misunderstanding this. And the fact that the Guardian would downplay or be like, we can't tell, it's just disgusting because they know their marching orders. Ben Shalzona. Of course I filmed it. All the people running over to help the child that is now dead. Happens all the time. What a film. It's a legend. You guys have seen this. You know, it's just disgusting. So that's the point. Shooting little girls in the back of the head. They call that, that was a terrorist they just killed, according to them. The nature of Israel's operation inside Janine is designed to try and hold back from it appearing as if they are conducting a full-scale invasion, instead attempting to convince people that it's fighting terrorism. Although Israel claims to be defending itself against some sort of sophisticated group of terrorists, the reality is basically the opposite. And Robert has been pointing this out for a long time. Right now, specifically, the Janine uh, armed brigades are 17 to 24-ish. They, they have some light weaponry, li- minimal training. They're, they're really not what they're making them out to be. And even more the reason why they're so embarrassed about the way this is going. Most of the fighters have no formal military or firearms training, also choosing to remain inside their local areas. A very important point here. They do not travel to carry out ambushes or shoot at Israeli forces outside of Janine. They only attack when Israeli forces come to them. So who exactly is the right to self-defense here? It says with these groups are, when these groups are interviewed, as it is, it is very clear that they, at least until this time, are focused on protecting their local areas and are not looking to go out on the offensive. But, you know, that may change now. There is no reasonable argument that Israel has to suggest that it's protecting itself. Instead, it is actually the other way around, which is something they cannot allow as an occupying power. The biggest concern for Tel Aviv is that the Janine brigades grow significantly stronger which is probably going to happen because of this, and begin to inspire resistance groups to pop up all over the West Bank and everywhere else, guys, which is where this is going. Lebanon, Hezbollah, the Houthis. People are standing up. Syria, people are standing up and supporting the occupied group, which is what you should be doing. Oh, that's right. I was supposed to do that while we're playing the video. I forgot. (laughs) Next point. Samala Nims points out, in what, according to, you know, calling out BBC, CNN, in what dictionary is this violent, inhumane assault on Janine Camp considered self-defense? It is an occupied territory, right? Somebody who clearly understands international law, but apparently, like, I guess it's the White West World Dictionary. Absolutely crazy. Really quickly, see if I can change this. Sorry to do it live. Bothers me. Do it live! Sarah points out something really important that they're never going to show you. This is Yemen on the 4th. Marching in massive numbers. I mean, look at that. For Palestine. You're unlikely to see this beautiful sight in Western media. That's crazy. But the point is that they're all terrorists too, according to Syria and U.S. policy and whatever else, as they're allowing this country entirely to be starved to death bombing water infrastructure, causing cholera outbreak. You know, nobody cares because it's all about freedom, right? Vanessa Bealey points out, sound as loud as you can. This sound you're about to hear, which it's hard because it is kind of low, 24-7. Sometimes high up, sometimes right above your head. 
The point is there's a massive drone campaign that I think is part just kind of pe- keeping people unhappy, upset, keeping the sound like you can't sleep with this going on above you, but also surveillance. And also the fact that these things can drop dangerous, deadly gases they use. They pretend is get tear gas and bomb. But here's what she's showing you. And also take a look at what they did to the area. This is a refugee camp and where people live with their families. really looks like a nice place to live, doesn't it? It didn't look like that before. Now, uh, Fiorella also points out, Israel not only attacked the refugee camp in Janine, but specifically targeted a medical center, which anybody honest can point out, it's very clear, claiming that they're targeting terrorists. They just pretended that, like the U.S. government does when they carry out overseas operations, before you try both sides issue, don't. Then here's an example of them showing you where they're dropping deadly gas. Which is, I mean, there's a thousand different articles, examples, ambulance, there are first responders, people even from the UN have made clear what whatever they're using with this chemical is not, this is chemical warfare. It's not, and I saw a clip with uh, Matt Taibbi interviewing Abby Martin from a while ago, and they make this point there, where they're like, look, this, they, they, people in the U.S. government and on the two-party paradigm will make a huge point about what they pretend Assad did in Syria. But don't seem to care that Israel regularly uses gas attacks using using chemical weapons to hurt people. Because that's what's happened. Apparently somebody died just in this example right here. Look at that. There are families that live there. Civilians. It's a medical center, guys. This This is what your government is protecting. Paramedics offer first aid to those who suffocated due to Israeli attack on Janine government hospital with toxic tear gas bombs. These are the ones that didn't die. But you can see, guys, that there are people that are really struggling. Now, you can't really make out that they're, you know, the more than tear gas here. But this is a common thing that has been covered all around the world, even by human rights organizations. Talk about the exploding bullets, the butterfly bullets, all these things they do that are verifiably international war crimes. They don't care. Then, of course, when it really gets pushed, people go, but they're fighting terrorism. Oh, so now you, now it's okay they do it, but they're not doing it. But you just see it's contradictory. It's the same thing we see in all of these conversations. Elijah points out something very important. Our EU ambassador didn't say a word about Israel killing of 10 Palestinians in Janine. A hundred wounded, 3,000 forced to leave their homes, right? As we get into more forced migration because of foreign policy, or in this case, domestic, but Ultimately, we're talking about the idea that their actions are what are driving people to have to migrate to other countries. And then they blame them for being there and then let their own internal two-party politics act like they're the problem. But now he is waking up and tweeting, disgusting and a hypocrite. Of course, after you know, not acknowledging that these people are being murdered with no justification, but of course he goes shocked by the terror attack in Tel Aviv. Like just even if it did, even if it's exactly that there was an attack. Exactly the way he said, a terror attack in Tel Aviv. You don't care about the first side of it? Of course not. Because to these people, they're all terrorists because that's the narrative. Sending wishes for a full and speedy recovery to the injured. Right, because there was no deaths. Violence against civilians is never justified? You're damn right. So why didn't you speak up before? 
It's disgusting, guys. These are the kind of people that are leading, if you want to call it that. Now, here's Reuters doing the same thing. Israel says it's close to completing a major military operation. Okay, how exactly is that the case if there's no stated goals? How are you completing something when there's no stated outcome? Because it's not about an outcome. There's not some operation you're completing. We're getting rid of all the terrorism. No, you're just punishing people. Where there's been fierce fighting. Oh, is there fierce fighting or is there murder taking place? Ten Palestinians have been killed and thousands have been forced to flee. Self-defense, right? Well, here's the reality of the situation. This is South Africa's foreign minister telling you what everybody knows. It's somewhere in their heart that this is all wrong. And these people are the most obvious hypocrites that I've ever seen in my life. I think this notion of international rules is very comfortable for some people to use when it suits them. But they don't believe in international rules when it doesn't suit them because they don't apply international rules or law equally in all circumstances. So you can't say because Ukraine has been invaded uh, that suddenly sovereignty is important, but it was never important for Palestine. Mm. It's very peculiar. Mm. If you believe in international law truly. Or Syria or Afghanistan or Libya or any of them, Mm. then wherever sovereignty is infringed, it must apply. Mm. And this is the point we've been making, that we use the framework of international law unequally, depending on who is affected. And we are arguing that that must change. And one of the interesting changes that has occurred is the sudden movement, because Russia has invaded Ukraine, that we say, okay, let's not allow the Security Council to just have the veto and let it pass, we take it to the General Assembly. When some of us had been calling for the General Assembly to have a greater say, we never enjoyed support. But suddenly today, see, that's where international law begins to mean nothing. Because for some, we see it as a cheating, and for others, we see it as a benefit. So our argument is let's revise the international uh, multilateral system to ensure that we observe that post-1948 has arrived. Right. And just to be clear, she's saying, you know, revise them, but in a multipolar concept, not some WHO world government concept. Like the idea that each individual entity has their own sovereignty and they can come to the table and have conversations. You know, it's it's very obvious to everybody and i mean everybody i don't think there's anybody who's not who's stupid enough to not understand that it's very blatant double standards but the real crux of the point is that when you if you were forced if they were forced to state the reasoning it would be that they acknowledge that they're double standards but it's okay because you're bad guy and we're not you know that's where this comes from now let's talk about france there's a lot of overlaps here talking about the the way that they're framing this Right, the idea about the foreign occupiers, the, the 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 idea of the immigration or forced immigration, and how that is causing problems. Like, there's a lot of overlaps here. Before we get into some of the parts that I think are really important about how it's being framed by certain characters out there, I want to read an article from Alex Craner, who I've reached out for an interview. I think he, you know, really hit this on the head. France under attack. Now, you take this for what you will. There's parts in here that I, I you know, agree with, parts that I don't. The overall point I think is interesting is the, the different perspective of this, that this could be a kind of globalist entity, or rather more specifically, as he puts it, an Anglo-American empire, imperial establishment attack on 
somebody who seems to be kind of getting drifting more so toward the BRICS multipolar direction. And then, and you might think that doesn't make sense because, you know, he's a globalist and so on. But you, what's interesting is you get read more of this and you read, check your source material. Exactly. He's right that historically France has had struggled with being side of a, a second, second, uh, what's the second, what's the term? Second fiddle to the U.S. leading empire. And they've never really been comfortable with that, according to what he's saying. I think it's interesting. So he says the government of French, of the French president, Macron, is under attack by the Anglo-American imperial establishment, triggered by the shooting of Nahal Merzok. Now, he was of Algerian origin, which I think is really important. Some of the riots did resemble low-intensity warfare. According to some reports, according to some reports, one second, there we go. U.S. weapons donated to Ukraine have found their way through black markets to the streets of French cities and into the hands of the protesters who used them in coordinated attacks on police and firefighters. There's been some videos to that effect. Just on the night of June 30th and July 1st, 41 police stations were attacked, 79 police officers injured, 2,560 fires were set in the streets, 1,360 cars, and 234 buildings were burned. The government deployed 45,000 police and... and, uh, What is that, actually? That's probably a term in French for... Armed police officer, Gendarme, how would you pronounce that? You guys could tell me in the chat, to bring the situation under control. But thus far, the rioting has continued with great intensity for five straight days, threatening to destabilize the nation. Now, he wrote this yesterday. President Macron is under increasing pressure, not only from from the rioters and the opposition, but more ominously also from his own police forces and the military. Police unions of France wrote to Macron threatening to revolt. I didn't know this. Quote, Today, the police are in combat as we are at war. Tomorrow, we will be in the, in the resistance and the government should be aware of this. Certain military circles appear ready to turn against Macron. General Pierre uh, Vies, maybe, who is apparently well-respected among the French military commanders, said that the army should be loyal to the people, not to Macron. Interesting. So it does seem that there are elements, potentially, of like a popular uprising here. You know, people that, are, you know, that's usually how this goes. If the enforcement arm turns that's usually an indication or starts to that things are changing but he says so far the events may seem straightforward to understand at the levels of pawns opposed to one another in the streets of french cities the abusive government of macron and its security apparatus is under attack by the people whose legitimate grievances went past the boiling point from there it's easy to assume that macron's government even instigated the riots deliberately in order to crack down on and tyrannize the people according to their plan he says, heck, Macron is the Rothschild's errand boy and the loyal World Economic Forum young leader. He says, all of that sounds plausible, but there's a far broader context to the story. The present crisis draws root from the very strained relationship between French ruling elites, elitists, and the Anglo-American imperial establishment, which spans centuries. Typically, these things do go back a lot longer than, you know, they know that our memory is very limited today, very TikTok, you know, <laughs> type memory where we're limited characters, a more thorough analysis of this French relationship could fill many volumes, but for now, we'll focus on just the more recent developments. In the immediate aftermath of the 9-11 terror attacks in the George Bush and, and in the U.S., George Bush announced to the world that you are either with us or against us. We've all remember that. He wasn't just saying words. The empire, in his opinion, was preparing to cement the unipolar world order. Well, I agree with that, but in his, in his opinion, he was saying more than just the bad guys overseas. 
The empire, he says, is preparing to cement the unipolar, unipolar global order, eliminate its rivals, establish full-spectrum dominance, and launch its project for the new American century. Which, remember, was the one talking about a new Pearl Harbor-like event. Which, remember, Trump said we need a new 9-11 type event. Like, in fact, more so about the idea that we come together after it, and then COVID happened. Didn't work out the way they wanted it, but maybe that's what happened too. France has never accepted the role of a junior partner or unquestioning ally, let alone a vassal to the Anglo-American empire. It has continued to be a pain in its side at critical junctures. Here's just a few examples of the last two decades between these two sides, France, France and the United States empire. But remember, the point is, you know, he's basically saying to other governments, other countries, you're either with us or against us. This is the beginning of the new American century, the global unipolar order which is what we're now seeing pushed back against. In in no way does that mean we should be supporting China, Russia, or any government. But the point is that they all want something different. They all want to control your lives, guys. This is what the left-right paradigm can't wrap their mind around. No one's going, yay. Some people are, but from my perspective, I'm not saying we should side with China, side with Russia. The point is that they're arguably saying, and maybe they're lying, that they want a more multipolar order. But in their minds, it benefits them. That's the point. It's not about your freedom, in my opinion. But of course, when we say that, it becomes that you're shilling for China or blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I was making, I was going to make a joke about this in general. I think, I think I cut it out of the show today, but the point is that now I'm being suddenly called yet again. Oh, I think I do have it for the next segment, a left-wing chill, or that I'm somehow shilling for the, the Arab community or open, open borders. <laughs> it's just like, my God, 30 seconds ago, I was a right-wing conspiracy theorist. And now I'm being called a left-wing chill. Doesn't it show you something when you get attacked from both sides of the false paradigm? At very least, that I'm not part of that illusion. I just think that's hilarious. But it says, oh, and getting into the examples here. So they mentioned the French opposition to the invasion of Iraq, which, again, you know, you could argue that wasn't in, uh, sincere. But France opposes Ukraine and Georgia joining NATO in 2008. 2019, Macron calls NATO a brain-dead alliance. Clearly, that's not going to set well with these people. He, in 2022, Macron said Russia has legitimate security concerns. April, and this is the one we've recently talked about, and I think one of the most important. Macron visits China and then flirts with the BRICS nations, right? We, we just talked about this last show. He talked to them about the, these kind of directions. And that was, I mean, as he may, he'll, he'll write in a second, that clearly upset the Western powers, or rather the globalist powers. But it says, speaking to journalists on the return flight from Beijing, Macron said that, quote, Europe must resist pressure to become America's followers. That the, quote, great risk Europe faces is getting, quote, caught up in crisis, crises that are not ours, which prevents it from building its own autonomy. And that, quote, Europe had increased its dependence on U.S. for weapons and energy and must focus on boosting its defense industries. In referring to Ukraine, Macron said that it was, quote, a faraway country that which we know not of which we know nothing. Pretty ignorant. But even that wasn't as unforgivable as his swipe at the, quote, extraterritoriality of the U.S. dollar. Uh Oh, you can't start poking at the U.S. dollar. We know how that used to go. While in China, Macron signed many deals, which I wasn't even aware of, expanding bilateral trade between France and China. That's not going to be okay. which of which many of which will be denominated in the Chinese Yuan. We all know that that is a huge no-no with the Western conversation. French leaders' willingness to craft... I mean, look, they're stopping Germany from a a legal and agreed-to deal in regard to pipelines. They even threatened to sanction them before they blew it up. A, A NATO ally, Germany, 
you really think they're not going to have an issue with this? As he says, French's leadership's willingness to craft their own bilateral relations with Anglo-American empire's chief rival and bypassing the U.S. dollar is simply unforgivable. French president asked his South African counterpart, Cecil Ramposha, to extend him an invitation to participate in the 15th BRICS summit. Clearly, we know that that is not okay. You're, you, that, that is countering everything they're pushing for right now. It goes, <coughs> excuse me, it goes on to say, it is important to keep in mind that the broadest context of the current global conflict, as George Soros laid out in his annual address to the, the, the WEF in May 2021, it is the conflict between the two systems of governance. Soros mischaracterized it as he sees it. He mischaracterized them as open societies and closed societies. In reality, according to Alex's perspective, we're witnessing the conflict between the Western imperial colonial system and pretty much the whole rest of humanity. Now, you could see those as maybe even the same conversation, right? That, that he is talking about open and closed societies. We're talking about globalism, globalization, globalism versus, you know, you could say nationalism, but of course people misunderstand what that means today. So it's the same thing, really. So ultimately, there is, I mean, this is what I was saying from before. There is no way we can't see, and I, I think it's oversimplification to say George Soros, right? It, it's like saying Bill Gates instead of the bigger conversation about the real the vaccinations. These are big players in both these conversations, but it's not always as simple as that. But obviously, the idea of open borders or the you know globalization or the idea that they're trying to force and cause things to drive migration, to change the dynamic. of That's real, guys. It's not even up for debate. But is that why this is happening? And is that does that immediately translate to they're all going to cause crime and rape and steal and murder? Well, no. That's a dramatic and insulting assumption. The point I made before is that if you take any body of people, if you take a bunch of white people from California and jam them into some foreign country, I will bet my life some of them will be rapists, murderers, thieves, and killers. Whether they're white, brown, black, or whatever. The point is people in large groups, there will always be some of that. So to point that some of the people doing it and pretend it, it's just it is a clumsy and two-party illusionist self-serving agenda, a narrative, which I'll get into more in a second. But yes, is in some way part of it. The imperial system governance is controlled by the Western occult oligarchy, which I love they said occult actually, which gives it which while it gives lip service to the rule of law, freedom, democracy, and human rights. In reality, it consistently sows mayhem abroad and misery at home. Truth be told, the French ruling elitists have also enjoyed a massive, massive, the massive privileges of this system for centuries. However, they never accepted subservience to the American Anglo-American establishment and always sought to plunder and exploit its colonies and its under on its own terms. So, kind of the same point, right? They're not seeking the op the opposite. They don't want to spread democracy and freedom. They just want to be able to plunder and colonialize under their own guidance. That's kind of the point I'm making about Russia or China. Like maybe they're seeking a multipolar multi, multi world. But does that immediately mean that the Belt and Road Initiative is all is like the, 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 the right direction? Well, I don't know if I believe that. I believe, or rather put it this way, if it was done with good intentions, I do think that, there's a, that that kind of direction is better than a globalist, uh, uh, unipolar control structure. But at the same time, they would build into that the same kind of problems. It's like saying communism's bad and democracy's not. They're just forms of government, and both can lead to centralized power at the top, just like we're seeing in our country right now. So we just need to step back from the two-party illusion, as always, breaking logic. 
That is the thing we have to consider. And I think right now we got such high, these big characters in both sides of the paradigm just scream people down. And sometimes people fall away from logical arguments because they think that they're wrong. Now, under this uh, AUKUS alliance, it says the most recent sign of the Anglo-American cabal's contempt, contempt for the French was the 2021 announcement. I, this was I didn't know this. this. I mean, this is a, a very transparent act that would really obviously upset Fran, uh, all of France, the French government in particular. That they announced the announcement of uh, the AUKUS alliance between the U.S., U.K., and Australia in 2016. France France made a deal with Australia to supply 12 conventional submarines for the Navy. The deal was worth $37 billion. A very substantial amount by any measure. French diplomacy celebrated it as the contract of the century. Important not only for its sheer size and strengthening France's, France's I keep doing that, relationship with Australia, but also in terms of securing French strategic influence in the Indo-Pacific region. So, that, so a deal was made. And then guess what? The same group that always seems to make a lot of deals and then not care about them as soon as it doesn't suit their interest. On Wednesday, 15th, September 2021, Joe Biden, Boris Johnson, and Morrison from Australia announced, quote, a historic security alliance between the U.S., Britain, and Australia. And guess what part of that deal was? Nuclear submarines and a significant transfer of U.S. military technology, which caused them to go, screw you, France, we're taking the deal with the U.S., showing you how clearly they care about their handshaking agreements or signing documents. These people are all criminals, guys. With no prior consultation or warning, Britain, Australia, and the U.S., otherwise well-known for their high value they place on sanctity of contract, clearly they state that, they don't believe it, as you can see by their actions, simply sidelined France, tore up the contract with Australia, and threw French interest overboard, provoking indignation and anger in France. French uh, foreign minister... Uh, Ladrian, Ladrian, I'm terrible at French names, referred to the AUKUS announcement as evidence of duplicity, treachery, and a stab in the back to France from her supposed allies and partners. It's just like with Germany. The only reason these people are subservient to these larger powers is because they have to be. There's far more going on. There's economic sanctions. There's control from a lot of different angles. That, and that's where the, the, the technocratic direction is trying to shore all that up, I would argue. France recalled its ambassadors from the, to the United States and Australia, and Ladrian stated that there was now a crisis of trust with the U.S. EU Council's President Charles Michael also strongly criticized the AUKUS announcement, causing the Anglo-American club of leaving Europe out of the game in the Indo-Pacific region. This was not the first massive humiliation dished out to France from the same friendly circles. They talk about Haiti, reparations, as another example how U.S. punished France's opposition to the Iraq invasion. Excuse me. Talks about the Democles sword of uh, France's colonial past, like using their past against them in a way like their obvious colonial past. He talks about the pre-announcing the attack on France. This is a really interesting point. A theory, but an interesting point nonetheless. The most bizarre element that suggests that the current uprising in France is a planned destabilization attack by this Anglo-American imperial cabal is the fact that it may have actually pre-announced in what appears to be their habitual modus operandi, their MO. Last month, this writer had the privilege of participating in the Better Way Conference, where Derek was there as well, in, in Bath. Organized by the World Council for Health, which you should be following, one of the speakers on my panel, his panel, said was uh, Mr. Mark Devlin. 
a DJ who made this challenge to study how the ruling establishment actually uses, as you all know, popular culture and entertainment to disseminate propaganda and manipulate the masses. In 2022, Netflix, of course, launched a film titled Athena about a future ethnic civil war in France, which would erupt after a police killing of an Algerian kid. Swear to God. On July, on June 27, 2023, French police killed an Algerian, Algerian youth, which then erupted into, I mean, come on. White noise, East Palestine, I mean, there's a lot, that's just a few, but it is crazy how much this happens. Certainly could just be coincidence. I don't believe that. So there's one example that I don't think many people are pointing out. Seeking justice for the, uh, not all, oh, he makes a point about how when they did a certain um, attack, well, it's not relevant. I don't want to try to, I didn't highlight it. So there's a point about how they kind of seem to a- accidentally target Chinese institute installations when they attack other things to kind of send a message. But anyway, different point. It says, what now? He says, I believe that today France's sovereignty is at stake. And it was Macron who invited the Anglo-American cabal's wrath. Now, he's not trying to say that we should support Macron or that this is like good guy, bad guy stuff. It's just the idea is that for the people of France, that all of this is their sovereignty at stake. If France fights back, things will get ugly, he says. Yes, they, they'll have to crack down. And yes, Western media will accuse them of all the standard faults of tyranny, repression, intolerance, and censorship when they want to, right? Anywhere else, it's, you know, fighting terrorists. But suddenly, if Iran does it, it's censorship and bad guy stuff. Now, suddenly, if, if the point is, if Macron is running afoul of the globalist agenda and he starts pushing back against the protesters, they'll decide to call it what it is. If France capitulates to the globalist agenda. Things will get uglier still and uglier for longer. And that's the hard decision here. I think it's quite clear what will happen personally. But that's a great take on that. I think there's a lot more here that he he elaborates on. So please take the time to read it. I really think he did a great job on this. But so obviously I think there's a part of this that is absolutely about a global governance concept that is part of this. But I think it's, it's, there are other aspects to that that I want to get into and specifically today. Now, we recently talked about this. This is what we're seeing from some people with large followings, which I'm, I don't even understand why people listen to these people. But it says France has fallen. This was on the 30th of June. France has fallen to African migrants and is now an Islamic caliphate. Not true. It's just stupid and not true. While Christians are being, now to be very clear, what I'm saying is it's not an Islamic caliphate. Now, are there African migrants? Yes. Has it fallen to African migrants? No. Are there African migrants that are causing violence? In some cases, there's videos I've seen, yes. But does that mean that all of them are, even most of them? I can't prove that. And I'm going to show you some points right now that prove to you that this is ridiculous. But what's happening is you're using a small part of this because of a right-wing direction that is based on about an agenda coming from the paradigm that this is somehow because of left policies. But doesn't that in and of itself ignore things that you've also ta- talked about before, which is that there, are, there might be agent provocateurs or that there might be, be a reason this is being done to them? For, of course, when suits a narrative about framing this as some kind of invasion from abroad, in the context of just people that are like this because they are just, that's what they are. Like the idea that because they're Islamic, they're bad or because they're African migrants, they're bad, which is what this really does say. And then he says, while white Christians are being publicly raped and murdered across the entire country, that is ridiculous. Are there examples of things happening? Yes. To simply broad stroke this as it's just this mat. It's not true. 
I've seen Alex Jones make similar points about the Islamic over over uh, invasion. Now, one thing Robert points out is that he's kind of baffled by this this choice to make it all Islamic or Muslim. When most of these people are Arabs in some cases, or the African ones specifically might be, you know, growing up in a situation where they practice Muslim religion, but are not actually Muslims, just like somebody who grows up in a Christian family in this country who might still call themselves Christian, goes out and drinks every night and goes out and parties and still has, you know, all these things. That they're, so they're not really an acting Christian, but they just, that's how they grew up, right? It's weird how Americans have a hard time aligning the basic understanding and reality of how everything works in the world when it comes to a political talking point. Now it says French police and mainstream media cannot even keep track of which towns have been totally burned to the ground. Not true. There's been a lot of, of burning things down and a lot of, but it's been, it's not entire cities burned to the ground. Now, I'm not basing this off what Twitter notes said. I've done my own due diligence, but they're also saying this is all fake. The French led in a Trojan horse, and now they've been conquered. See, this is the point. So that implies this is not some surreptitious agenda, other than maybe because their Soros open borders is what they're trying, they're trying to cause this. But are we missing the part that this might be intentional, that these people might be acting on orders from other powers, maybe the Western powers? We know that's possible. But what this really says is that these people are just bad inherently, and that's why they're being used. They're being ushered in, and just because they have lesser morals than we do, this is really what we're talking about. And there's people on this conversation that will literally say that they're, I'll get into it in a second, that because they're not Christian, that they're bad people. Like, it's just, it blows me away the ignorance that people can have, the, the lack of understanding or choosing not to understand other people's perspectives in the world. Western civilization is on the brink of collapse. We have to fight back. Certainly a, a talking point that people want you to believe. Well, here's something I want to start with. Let's look at the, the breakdown. Now, I'm not saying I blindly trust these numbers because they could lie about this, but you can confirm this with pretty much anywhere you look. That ultimately, it says 82% of the Muslim population in France, with 40, uh, 43.2 from Algeria. So just Algerian people, that was the kid that got shot and that protested because of it. Now, are those Muslims? Are they African migrants? Some of them. It's Algeria. But you'll find out that most of these have been there for generations. So he's wrong about that. 27.5% of Mor- from Morocco and 114 from Tunisia. Others are from sub-Saharan Africa and Turkey. In 2005, there were 3.5 million people in, uh, they basically referenced this uh, Maghre- uh, Maghrebe, which is, it's basically like northern Arab areas. It says 3.5 million people of that origin living in France. Down here it says, one widely cited study by Pew from 2010 estimated that France had 4.7 million Muslims, making it the largest Muslim population in Western Europe. So how does it go from 2010, where that's already the present reality, to being that it's been an overwhelming invasion? Here's another point to point out that you can see based on this, you know, kind of breakdown of French's population, that in 2010, which they were just citing, there were 62 million, 444,567 people in general. Since that time, and now 2023, that has only risen by a little over maybe 2, 2 million, 2.2 million. That's it. So we're going to pretend that, that, and understand that that is not all Muslims or all Arabs. It's, a, it's, it's only a fraction. So if we're going to pretend that a fraction of 2 million is somehow an invasion compared to a 64 million population, the point is, guys, that they're not operating with facts. They're operating with two-party illusion narratives that are self-serving. 
that's it, this is it's the, the ridiculous reality that they're pushing is not aligning with the reality that you can prove. Now, what you'll see is a lot of examples that show you at the very least, which is the only argument I've really ever made, is that you should not broad stroke an entire group of people because of a video you see online. You'd think we would have learned that by now when they're the ones pushing the idea or rather just talking about, which I am too, the idea of deep fakes, of social manipulation. But weird, it doesn't get applied to the part when we see a random video of one guy screaming something and they go, yep, this is what they all think. That's called ignorance. Even if it's true that there's a large portion, even if it's the majority, it's not what they all think. That needs to matter to us, guys. Freddie Pontone points out, which he agrees in general that this is much not what they're saying it is, that mothers are touring the neighborhoods. Why, the, the, these are, uh, best point to say, just minorities, because not all the people that are doing this are all from Africa. A lot of them have been here for generations. Some of them aren't Muslim or Arab. But of course, everyone just kind of broad strokes the entire group with whatever term they think makes sense. That's ignorance. The point is, you can see this multifaceted group of Arabs, Muslims, you know, re- immigrants in general, my, uh, and, and minorities marching down the street, some of them wearing hijabs, holding signs saying, stop the violence. Justice matter, justice for victims, stop the violence. Okay, so at the very least, you can see there's people that are protesting, calling for non-violence. Doesn't that matter? You can't say all, clearly. Now, of course, right there, let's say you just selectively edited this video and only showed a bunch of hijabs and people chanting. They would frame that and say, every, you know, France is out of control, which is what I'm going to show you next, which is what happens because of ignorance. Because they're wearing hijabs and are different color skin and suddenly are saying things in a different language that it means terrorism. Because people actually think like that. Before we get to that, though, Vanessa Bealey makes an excellent point. She's been reading anti-Islam rhetoric all day. Then she saw this from the Minister of Interior in France. Now, of course, they could be lying. You could argue that France is, you know, if you want to pretend without evidence, because you should, there's no evidence to it, you can assume, if you want, that they're lying about this because they're involved with some effort to remove borders. But I think we can prove in a lot of ways that that doesn't seem to what the French government's even trying to do. Or rather, more specifically, France or Macron and what he's doing. But that could be part of the illusion. The point, though, is that what they stated. And at some point, we have to acknowledge with the evidence on the table that they could lie about it. But you have all this evidence that's making it very clear that it's not what they're making it out to be. And you've got a selective grouping of videos that show some people that, you know, it's a, it's a selectively chosen narrative when the most of the facts don't align with it. And what she's saying is there were 4,000 people arrested. You know, the people that were committing the violence that they were telling you was an Islamic African migrant invasion. 90% of them were French. So the point is that you'll see people commenting, what does French even mean? Because they could be, okay, well, here's the point. We don't just get to skip past the reality that if they're not, if they have a French passport, if they're actually then considered French, how is that an invasion? So now you're skipping, what it reveals in these comments, look at it for yourself, is that they're really not talking about an invasion of migrants. They're talking about that they don't like minorities. That's not everybody. I really don't even think that's the vast majority, but that's the crux of the point. Well, what's French anymore? Well, French means they are, are, have a passport, that they're actually citizens. They live there, which means they didn't just come over yesterday, which is what you're trying to frame it as. But the moment that point goes out the window, you still go, well, they're all still migrants and they're dangerous. Oh, really? And that is the point. Sure, they could be. Like anybody can be dangerous from anywhere. But you can listen for yourself. It's in French. 
Now, here's what I want to get to. And this is, I think, a point that I think is really important. Paul Golding points this out. This is not Turkey, he says. These protesters yelling Alu Akbar are in Germany. Europe is in big, big trouble. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's look really quickly to see what, what dangerous things are happening. So I look, it looks like a peaceful protest where people are chanting for what they believe in. There's no violence happening. In fact, you can show, and I've shown before, that this is not, this was a peaceful protest. They were protesting and stand, and they had Turkish flags, signed pictures of Erdogan, and they were, they were chanting al uh, uh, um, Akbar. So does that strike you as something concerning? For some people, it actually does. They see brown faces, they see, they hear al Akbar, and they, they see the flag that looks like a dangerous flag, and they feel, oh, that's bad. Well, I, the problem is that if you think that, there's only two reasons in my mind. One, you just don't like foreigners, or you've been convinced that al Akbar is a negative thing, or that any kind of Muslim concept is dangerous. It's, it, that's, that's pure ignorance, especially if we, if, we for, if we forget, which I'll show, I think I showed it, I'll show it in a tweet in a second, that James Corbett has broken this down, so does Ben Swan, for that matter, that we can quite literally prove that the very reason that people have that opinion is because the U.S. government funded, created, armed, and used the very people that you picture when you think that. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't organic versions of that, but their reality is that the, re- that the whole thing, the suicide bombing, all this whole thing, that was something that was manufactured by foreign policy of Western governments. The bigger idea of it, and that's why you think that. That should matter, shouldn't it? Well, here's what I said. First of all, it was peaceful, right? The flag is just their flag, like any other person from a foreign country. Do do people get upset when Israeli people wave Israeli flags? Some people do. And do do you know why? Because they're most likely racist against Israeli people in general. Now, we can get into a whole conversation about how some of them are actually buying the Zionist religion concepts, or how some of them might actually be proud, but that's the same point, isn't it? We cannot just broad stroke every Israeli person or every Jewish person because that's ignorance. My point is that nothing bad is happening here other than the fact that you may perceive these things as inherently negative. And that is um, you, not the people standing there, not the child standing there or the women filming. It's, it's, it really bothers me that people have this kind of mindset. But you know what? They're allowed to. I'm not calling for them to be censored. They have every right to express the most disgusting opinions that they have. And I have a right to say you're a disgusting person for thinking that and trying to change your mind. But that's what I said. That's what I said. This is like saying that if one in the U.S. yells, God is great, or for, just for the sake of conversation, any variation therein, you know, this is for God or glory to God, which, by the way, has happened before committing, oh, commuting, son of a gun, committing violence, which I said, which has happened completely unrelated to the Middle East. It's not a new thing. That going forward, anyone saying this is suddenly a violent actor? Like, that's what's happening here. Because I, I showed you in the translation, I mean, God is great. Then realize how prominent this phrase is for average Arabic-speaking individuals, guys. People pray multiple times a day who are Muslim or just in general Arabic-speaking people say this is, a vi- this is one of the most common phrases on the planet. Most Americans don't realize that, sort of like realizing Abraham, or rather, no, it was that Muhammad is one of the most common names in the world, but we don't think that because we're so inverted in the way we view the world. 
But this is one of the most commonly spoken phrases on the planet. And the vast, vast, vast majority of people who are saying it are saying it because they're literally saying God is great. Now, there's a conversation that people argue that it, it means God is greater. But to understand this, realize Akbar means great. It's a, it's a name that people use that literally translates to great. Now, you could argue that the Alu Akbar term means God is greater, which some people argue that. And I'm not even going to say it's wrong, but realize that even then, what are you arguing? That This is the argument people say, that it means that it's greater than your God. Okay, well, that's what every religion thinks, first of all, and I'll make that point in a second. But just by saying God is greater, the whole point is that God is greater than everything. That's what they're saying. That's a self-serving narrative to see that as a threat because you've been convinced by foreign policy and governments and Western ideas that this is somehow a threat to you because it's a threat to them. It's problematic to me. And people that will cite, you know, here's what the Quran says. We'll take a look at the Bible someday and realize how many crazy things are in there that we just go, oh, yeah, it's archaic. We don't think that. Well, a lot of them think the same thing. There's plenty of American Christians that believe everything in the Bible, and that's alarming to me. Right? There, there's a lot of this same kind of point. We have this closed-minded perspective. Or that we say that there's just some kind of, you know, anyway, I, I can go out all day about this. And, and there's still people that just don't want to hear it. But let me read through some of these I do think is important. One of the people I mean, just, I'm here, I just this person, I'll show you why. But anyway, I think it's important to see this. This person responds as L, just like, you know, loss or lose, whatever. And I always kind of jokingly go, yeah, I agree. That person's wrong. Just to get them to be like, no, I didn't mean that. I just like, I think it's funny. But he says, so you, and based on what I said, right, that this is not what that means. It's like saying anybody saying that is, is a terrorist or it's, it's ignorant. That's all I said. I'm not, I didn't say anything about open borders or anything. But he goes, so you think Europe is okay with tens of hundreds of millions of Arabs and Africans pouring in? Like, I, that, where did that even come from? The, okay, buddy. Only know of you because of Whitney Webb. Is the, and obviously, the oligopoly is the problem. With open borders being okay, huge loss. Like, that's all in his mind. In fact, you've heard me actively say that's, why would, I, I don't, I'm not supporting open borders. I've actually made a very challenging argument to the opposite more than once. I just think it's just this is the problem is that people are arguing with a narrative that I'm not even making because they're lost in the two party paradigm. And this is, oh, you know what? I forgot to make that joke about her. <laughs> well, there it is right there. So the woman interviewing um, the, in the earlier part about the interviewing about the signal, the woman for signal, right? That was the woman that interviewed J Jordan Peterson and literally everything he said, she'd be like, so what you're saying is, and say something. He's like, no, not at all. Like, I mean, like 500 times, every time he would say something very clear and she would try to contort it into what she wanted him to be saying. And he'd be like, no, that's not what I'm saying. Well, she did in this interview too. <laughs> it's just, it makes me laugh because it's a really dumb thing to do. So I made fun of that. I said, so what you're saying is, <laughs> I said, no, man, that's quite the leaping assumption. Why in the world would you assume I support that? What he said was ignorant. Had you cared to even look, I routinely call out the agenda you think I'm supporting. And he says, as far as I saw, it was a Semitic argument, but it was pretty loaded. Those people are hardly only saying God is great. How could you possibly know that? Because of, pe of perceptions you have about every single person saying this because of propaganda. Like, it, pe the problem is people can't even see that that's a really ignorant argument. Not ignorant because I disagree because of politics, just flat out wrong. They mean a lot more. That's like saying you know what everybody thinks who says anything else that becomes loaded. Oh, that's conspiracy theory. How do you know this? That is the same game. And he said, anyway, we're no biggie except we're in hell. And I said, hard to disagree with the last part, not for the reasons he's saying it. All I'm saying is that we need to be better and not assume and or broad stroke entire groups of people 
We all used to see that as ignorance. Some could mean more, sure. For others, it's a wildly common and important phrase that means exactly what it says. They pray and they say it, and that's exactly what they mean by it. That's, it. This is sad. This is what people are saying. Here's another example. As usual, oh, this one's not as important. I don't think, I think they're confused. It says, you think that people whose countries you enter and whose arms open to you or generously should yield to an understanding of your culture and not the other way around? <laughs> Same thing. I'm like, um, well, you just described the typical U.S. tourist or traveler, right? And if you somehow think that I, I, I think that, that you're wrong, and I'm wildly confused on how you reached that assumption. It's amazing how we have such a close-minded perspective. Do you think Americans go overseas and, and learn everything? No, they demand that you know what they're saying, right? That's what Americans do. They go over and they speak English. Nobody cares. But when you know, other people come here, they get mad they're not speaking English. It is a complete supremacist mindset. And I don't mean that in like a white supremacy way. I just mean that that's what it is, that this is more important. Our language is more important. We're taught that. But I said, this person says, that's because it's not violence if a white person does it. It's an isolated event. It's not racism. It's someone who needs to be counseled. And that's, it's an interesting point, which we'll get into when we get to the shooter today, which clearly this is going to be a long show, so buckle in. This person says, yeah, that's not at all how this works. Christians are not saying God is great and then suicide bombing Muslims. The ignorance is overwhelming. Like, are you unaware of the massive foreign policy campaigns of your government literally murdering lots of Muslims and Christians all over the world? Does it matter that they're screaming God is great? Or how about the fact that they say that any number of mantras that we say all the time? Oh, how about aside from that in a very specific sense, that we can literally prove that Christians throughout history, as well as recently, have said some variation of that, taking out violence on people under the guise that it's something God wants. Are we really pretending that's not happening? These people don't want to know because this is only about the bad guy Muslims. And by the way, are you assuming they're all Muslims? That was our point from before. They're Turkish, the Arabic speaking, but it's pretty ignorant and ridiculous to assume you know they're all Muslim. You know why? Because Muslims are bad in their perspective. And that's why I said this. Is that what you think they're all about to do? Because they're all saying one of the most common phrases on earth? Ignorant. But people like you do exist. Maybe you should research who created, funded, and armed those who you are picturing and still do. Read this. It's important. This person says, oh, shut up. Everyone knows it's God is greatest. Well, technically, it's God is greater is what the argument is. God is great or God is greater is the only two things that it technically could mean based on the breakdowns of the definition. So they're wrong, first of all. But it says, as in their God, the greatest. Well, that is an assumption. How do you know they're comparing it to your God? But they're just simply saying God is greater than everything. Well, here's the same point, though. First, laughably incorrect. But for sake of conversation, is that not what every other religion does, too? Or are you of the mind that their God is just as equally important as re- and revered as your God to you? Mic drop right there. I mean, really think about the logic she trapped herself in. Like the idea is, are, are you of the mind that your the, their God is the same? No, you believe your God is the only God and that God's the most important. Okay, so it's, that's what every single religious person in religion thinks. Is anybody disputing that? So it's really crazy for them to think it's wrong for them to say the same thing that you're essentially saying in reverse. And it offends you because they're saying that because you think that too. You see the lack of of self-awareness here. And they just said, yeah, got me. I see people of every other religion predicating mass murder on their, uh, their religion and also their religious leader. Yeah, man, you do. You're just too stupid to see. I should say that. But come on, really? Historically, first of all, Christian crusades. But today, 
the idea that we're not acknowledging that there's actively ha- this religious war. How about the Shiite Shia divide? What the U.S. government's doing with Israel? How about what's going on in Palestine? Like it just blows me away. They said you got me, and I said, indeed I do. <laughs> Logic is there. Last one. When you say a false god is great, it's kind of different. And that, guys, encapsulates everything about the supremacist Western mindset. Well, you're God, right? We're all right and you're all wrong because I know. Well, you may be right. I believe in my God very seriously, but I also believe, quite frankly, if we get cut to the chase of it, I've always thought since a kid, it's my mindset or po- the possibility that we're all believing in the same God. It's just about how we perceived it when that happened back then, Right. If we're really going to talk about the idea that this was something happening, why would we pretend it only happened in one area? Or the idea that you know each area was visited by something and we all perceived it differently. Just for, It's like an interesting theological conversation. Why we would immediately attack each other. And that's, that's the point. It's about individuals making their own assessments about what they say God is in order to rule other people. The Bible was written by men. Like The idea is that this is so inherently ignorant that their God is false and ours is real, therefore they're bad. People really think this, man. And this is the problem, that people like this are using you. Here's an example I made the other day. And just to make the same point today. Everybody keeps posting this. Well, she, they said, she said, welcome to Sweden. But other people posted it and said, Sweden has fallen or Sweden is we're in danger for, because of this. Now, tell me, does this make you nervous? Or does this make you upset? Does it make you feel like there's danger? I'm sure it does for plenty of people, even people that that know better because we have been propagandized. But so, you know, as I covered this before, and here's somebody scary. Somebody said ISIS flags. It just shows the inherent ignorance of most people on this topic. That's just Arabic. They're not ISIS flags. They're different color. I mean, what it says, I think it's Hussein. This is basically something that happens every year in Sweden, but elsewhere. And it is a procession. It's like a funeral march. I talked to Robert about this at length. Happens every year. And there's other videos of it where they're marching further and just going peacefully down these areas. It is, it's honoring somebody who has fallen. It's like, it's like people who are marching in honor of a hero that died, and, you know, whatever. It's, more, it's, it's not about anything other than their belief in this historical, concept, this historical, historical figure and marching in honor of them. Like every society anywhere in the world does. But because they are wearing hijabs, because they're speaking Arabic and waving flags in Arabic, they're dangerous and bad. And it makes me sad that we are this gullible. Now, sure, could some of them be bad? Well, yeah, you could say that about any crowd you ever look at. I guarantee that somebody in there is probably dangerous. But it's not because of what you think, because of what they look like. It is because they're dangerous people in some cases, always. Now, here's an example to overlap that. Here's something that's happening in Israel. Okay. Now, if those were all is, uh, Islamic flags and people wearing hijabs, marching and saying that, that when for the same exact purpose, 
right? For sake of conversation, let's just say they're out there supporting Israel. But they're waving their Islamic flags and they're screaming things in Islam in, in, in Arabic. But, but genuinely supporting Israel, like if that was ever going to happen. People would see it and go, scary. But it's not, though. Right? The only reason this is different to you is because you see Israeli as different. You see the flags as different. But they're the same thing in truth. At the end of the day, these are people who are marching. I think this is in support of, I looked this up briefly, but it wasn't about the point of it. It was there, it's, it's a march of celebration for something or support, which is exactly what this is. There is quite literally no difference other than the fact that they're from a different place. And if you can't see that, they need to reflect on what's guiding your logic. Now, there are examples of things that we've seen. There's just a couple of them. You could find an endless amount of them. You really look about of uh, squeaking on me of immigrants in France breaking into stores or doing all sorts of things. The fact that that is being used to represent everybody is the ignorant point that I'm talking about. So this was sent to me or tagged me by the same guy. Now, let's just watch it really quickly. This is kids coming up and screaming F France or whatever. Okay, now, it's amazing how you could pretend that these people, was it like seven people on a video, somehow represents everybody, but that's what the, these intelligent people are doing. Saying, very nice of the liberals and you. See, so, so now I'm, I'm a left-wing person all of a sudden. I, two seconds ago, I was a right-wing conspiracy theorist. To protect your warm, fuzzy feelings onto those absolute POS monsters, though. Okay, so first of all, monsters. So these are kids that are saying, like, well, I guess what he's saying is they're talking about, I'm there for the welfare, and I'm here, you know, F France. Monsters? So you mean exactly like what's happening all over the world? There's plenty of immigrants in this country that are here to take advantage of all the policies. You pro- are you calling them criminals and monsters? Probably. <laughs> that seems like a, a likely logical response from somebody saying it here. But really think about that for a second. Are they terrorists? Is that what you're leaning into here? That was what he was kind of saying before. Saying, how about from now on you use common sense and look at the evidence? Oh, the evidence. This is evidence, apparently, of everybody before you come to the defense of monsters. Wow, man. And here's the point. Yes, 99%, whoops, didn't mean to like that. 99% think exactly like this. I mean, guys, just the wholesale ignorance to pretend that you somehow know what 99% of any group thinks is, I mean, you might as well be working for the government, man. You might as well be a government agent and maybe who, I mean, I don't even care. That's, I wouldn't even make that argument because it's, it doesn't matter. The point is there's plenty of ignorant people that are making these arguments because they believe them and you, they're clapping their hands. Yes, that's what we want. And I said, sorry, I gave you the benefit of the doubt. You are either too ignorant to know how ridiculous and bigoted you are being, or you don't care. Both sides of the two party illusion are ridiculous. And I'm being used to, I'm being used to, I'm, I am used to being stuck between them and the, the, with the facts and objectivity, nothing new. I said, as if you are incapable of considering how Western foreign policy is responsible for this, or whether these are people being driven to take such action for the very purpose of convincing simpletons like yourself that this represents everybody, you are not a serious person. It bothers me, as you can tell. Well, here's an example of something else. It's a video of a person in a, you know, uh, I guess not, you'd be a, not a hijab, right? The whole thing, burqa, whatever. But the point is, it's saying, 
that we don't have to listen to the law. We believe in Sharia law better. Okay, I guarantee somebody out there thinks that. But for first point, are we pretending there's not somebody out there that teaches their kids that God's law is more important than the law in the country? Yes, they do. Like I've, I've met plenty of them. Well, I, I'd be willing to bet you some people in the chat think that. Right? So how is it different? Ah, because their religion's dangerous and bad. Ah, okay. So we get to the crux of the point, right? That it's not really about the fact that we have the same beliefs in some cases that God's more important than the law, or but it's the fact that their religion is bad. Okay, right? And it's the same point to the rest of it. But then ask yourself, how do we even know this is real? <laughs> how, what if that's uh, a Trump supporter in a burqa or a le- left-wing activist, in a bur- right? I mean, it's just amazing that, and I don't think that. I actually I don't think at all. I think this kind of person very much exists. But what's frustrating is that every that people just take it because it aligns with what they already think. Sweden has fallen. Russia, France is over. It's an Islamic caliphate. Well, she says is Islamized, Islamized Netherlands. Burka-clad women explains how Sharia overrides Dutch values, customs, and laws. I teach my children that Allah, our Creator, is more important than Dutch rules. Again, isn't that exactly what plenty? Now she didn't say. I mean, listen to it for yourself. You could could argue that they're saying that we should abide. The point is you could say that it's somehow nefarious, or you could just argue that they believe their religion and their beliefs are more important than the law, which a lot of Christians do too. But overall, certainly could be a bad person, could certainly could be dangerous. But this goes back to that same idea that we somehow got this belief like Sharia law was going to take over this country. Where did it even come from? Like it's just, I mean, it's, this is the kind of ignorant mindset that stems from propaganda. Of course, it's possible, but I like evidence to make arguments. Now, here's something else that people didn't talk about. I just, this, apparently, this just happened, and we've talked about the MEK so many different times. A designated terrorist group until multiple, I think, Clinton, again, in the time frame, removed them from the terrorist list because they want to implant them in Iran when they can clearly have been planning to remove the Iranian government and failing repeatedly. These people are, are, are the, one of the most extreme groups that you'll see. On the record, they force people in their organization to, to, to basically document their sexual encounters. It's, I mean, their mindset is a, it's a cult. By definition, when you really look at what they're outlining, if anybody was doing this anywhere they didn't like, they would be calling it a cult and a terrorist organization like they used to in this group when it wasn't what they wanted. The point, though, is on July 3rd, they wrote this. Iran has condemned that they MEK held a rally in France. Is that interesting? Right, right, like right when this was happening. Here's why I find this interesting. France allowed the anti-Iran MEK terror cult to stage a rally in Paris. The group murdered 1,700 Iranians in terror attacks and fought as foot soldiers in Saddam's arm against their own country. They are Western-funded. They are. I mean, I've shown you Rudy Giuliani and plenty of other Western people speaking to them, and their main camp is in Albania. That's interesting. An Albanian team was shot. Most of the protesters in the beginning were Albanian. Isn't that interesting? Western regime sponsors terrorism. Here's what he was saying here. What do you make of that vocal support we heard there from veteran Western politicians for a group that's killed thousands of people and was previously blacklisted by the U.S. and Europe? Yes, and that is not unexpected. Uh, The United States and the Europeans have been supporting the MEK or MKO terrorist group for decades. Even when it was labeled as a terrorist organization, it was based in Europe under a different name. 
and it was active in the United States under a different name. This group, through terrorist attacks across Iran, murdered 17,000 Iranians. They would blow up buildings, they would blow up public buses, they would simply uh, shoot at people on the streets because of their looks. And then they fled to Europe. Oh, hey, by the way, just to correct what I just said, this is I think this is relevant either way. I, I included this before I, I, I noticed the Albanian. It's Algerian. So I take that back. Algerian youth was shot and Algerians were protesting. Nonetheless, I included this because I think it's relevant. Nonetheless, the fact that the MEK was present in the country. I just that that was the reason I included this. Well, when I heard him say that, I thought, oh, that's interesting. But just to clear up the record, uh, the, the youth was not Albanian, but Algerian. I want to continue. Established bases in Iraq and fought under Saddam Hussein against their own country. So not only did, were they terrorists, but they were traitors to their own country. They received massive support from European countries, uh, the United States and others as they were receiving support from Saddam Hussein. And then later on, after Saddam was overthrown, Europe and the United States took control and funded them. And their main military camp is in Albania. Right. So what exactly was... Now, I want to let play one more video before we move on to the Zaporozhye discussion. And that is a great clip from Low Key here. I guess he writes for Mint Press News or works for them. NATO's legacy in Afghanistan. Now, he makes some really great points here. And I wanted to include this just for the overall point of what has been driving the mass movement of peoples that they then use to justify all of this stuff. By and large, Western destructive Western foreign policy. When we watch the mainstream media, certainly in England and I'm sure in the United States, you get this sort of vague notion that NATO is some sort of united colors of Benetton, save the world... Um, children's charity, almost. NATO's war in Afghanistan produced 5.3 million refugees. That was a quarter of the Afghan population. It left 72% of the Afghan population in poverty and rendered Afghans statistically the saddest people in the world. We know that after NATO's humiliating exit from Afghanistan, the U.S. government spitefully decided to freeze $9.5 billion worth of assets in the Afghan Central Bank. That would lead to 97% poverty rate in the last year or so. Before the U.S. invasion, we know that opium production in Afghanistan was almost zero. Following the occupation over 90% of the world's heroin came from Afghanistan. And funnily enough, the Helmand province was the centre of opium production during the NATO occupation. And it just so happened that the British military had 10,000 soldiers on 140 bases in the Helmand province at the same time. What else is the NATO legacy in Afghanistan? Well, a company by the name of DynCorp. Many of us, the interesting thing about the way the US is able to outsource what it does is it obscures some of its most ugly and heinous crimes in the anonymity of obscurely named vague companies like DynCorp. It was one of them. It was a security company which 
actually enjoyed on its parent board at Veritas the Secretary of State in the Bush administration, Richard Armitage. Well, DynCorp was revealed by WikiLeaks to have had workers in Kabul hiring child sex slaves from among the Afghan population. What about Armour Group, the US security company tasked with guarding the US embassy during the NATO occupation? Its employees were found to have violated the Trafficking Victims Protection Act by visiting brothels in Kabul. And eventually all that happened was the parent company, G4S, paid a fine to the US government and nothing was done and that was forgotten. Of course, we've just crossed the 20-year anniversary of the invasion, the invasion of Iraq, which 36 million people across 3,000 demonstrations globally protested against. The occupation in Iraq displaced one in 25 Iraqis and killed over a million people. Since then, the U.S. has spent $32 million per hour on war. The war on terror entailed the U.S. dropping on average 46 bombs per day for 20 years and displacing 37. My God. The reality being that that is an industry that is, I mean, this country is literally built on war. Like the, the government cannot exist right now on without maintaining a certain level of war because the industry, the, the defense industry is reliant on that, which is why these things never end anymore. They just shift into new locations and everything. I mean, even, even the ones they pretend they end, they still maintain them. This is by and large what's causing the shifting of populations that they then point at to justify their next steps. Now, speaking of one of the current conflicts that are doing the same thing, both because of, due to France and the United States and many others, let's talk about what's going on in Ukraine. First, I want to make sure you don't miss the last interview I have with Vanessa Bealy on June 30th, where we discuss the incoming false flag in Ukraine, as well as the larger illusion of so much taking place now, I invited her back on Friday to talk about France and so on. And I said, no, it's not an Islamic caliphate. We're going to get into a lot of that. But make sure you check this out. As we said, the coming Ukrainian false flag. Here is what we're seeing. And this, this was posted today. Jim Ferguson points out, he says, the online chatter suggests a dirty bomb attack will occur tonight, July 5th, on the Zaporozhye nuclear plant in Ukraine as part of a false flag operation. If this happens, the world will undoubtedly be plunged into World War III, and the use of nuclear weapons will most likely be used. That is a very scary prospect that I hate to say doesn't sound that unlikely. We saw the devastation, like if that should take place, that's what I mean. Like, I don't, I, who knows if it's, how likely it is this will happen. But if this does happen, an actual dirty bomb, then I find that hard to believe. It's a cascading series of events that I don't see stopping. They've set it up already. It's like, it's like dominoes that they've already put in place. And they've allowed Zelensky and them to be the ones that tip the first one. And that scares the hell out of me. We saw the devastation caused by the Chernobyl nuclear power disaster picture left. But this will be deliberate and will result in full-scale war and so on. Now, here's what's interesting. Looks like the, uh, the whole QAnon thing is still going. Here's coming from, uh, this is Jim. Someone posted this two days ago before anyone mentioned this. Because I'm a lurker and I'll get straight to the point. This is not this is not a happening. I don't know what that means, but it's a thread. This is real, 100% real. 
On July 4th or 5th, the United States will bomb the Zaporizhia power plant located on the city, uh, basically bomb the power plant. I don't care anymore, and I will be 100% honest with you guys. I'm a Marine Corps infantry veteran who is now working for the United States government in electronic espionage and have been for the last five years. The Ukrainian government and the United States government are working together in order to bomb the, the power plant and blame the nuclear meltdown on Russia, thus giving us any authority to use tactics. Okay, the point is, doesn't everybody think that this is possible? Like, this is like one of the most commonly thought narratives right now that's out there. Long before two days ago. So I find it interesting that this is like they're still pretending like they're seeding this narrative. We were saying this a week ago, or we were saying this months ago when the Zaporizhia power plant narrative was coming up again. Isn't it funny? That, but, but this Marine says it because, what, we can't all see that same thing on the, on the, on the wall right now? I don't know. I, I find it funny that these things are still given credence. It could be real. Certainly could be. We'll have to wait and see. What happens if tonight nothing happens, though? You know what they do? They, they see another narrative. Well, here's what happened. It's because we, we realized it was more important. Blah, blah, blah. That's, that, that QAnon thing has been circling forever. And it always kicks the can down the road. So please, guys, learn your lesson. But there is a real threat here. Saeed points out, this is beginning to look very much like the false flag chemical attacks carried out in Syria by NATO-backed Al-Qaeda and their affiliates. Beware, Russia is not Syria. And this is Zelensky pointing out the, you know, the threat, basically saying, now we have information from our intelligence that Russian military has placed objects resembling explosives on the roof of several power units of the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant. This, this begins to feel sort of like John Bolton's Eminent threat turned out to be a bunch of ships moving in Iranian ports. Well, are they explosives resembling explosives? So maybe they just put, you know, like the idea is it doesn't even have to be real at all. Zelensky and the Ukrainian military have been caught lying egregiously from cutting lies from whole cloth about very big things. He still maintains, at last I saw, that Russia bombed Poland, even though we all proved that wasn't true, including the corporate media. Why do we trust this person? Why does anybody? He says, perhaps to stimulate an attack on the plan. What? So, so you're now arguing that, that, that if you do attack, it's because they drove you to because they put something on there that you can't even be sure is bombs? I, like, every time this guy speaks like this, it's like he's trying to piece together things he thinks make sense for narratives, and they're just not smart enough to see how they really fit together. But in any case, he says, the world sees, can't but, can't, can't but see, that the only source of danger to the plant is Russia. That's not true. You guys have been bombing that plant once Russia took, took power many times, even though when it was reversed, you were screaming that Russia doing the same thing was a threat to the plant. So by definition, you could point out that your very actions are also a threat or the only threat, depending on how you look at it. But of course, you know, facts don't matter. <laughs> Shut up, facts. We're talking narrative here. Here is Kanoa the Great. Oh, same point. Just it's another clip just saying that they have planned explosives. And then this is where it becomes very very concerning. Now, this is what we pointed out in regard to Syria many times. <clears throat> look, look at this. It's just so stupid. God, people are so ridiculous. Ukraine needs a roadmap to NATO membership ASAP, says Politico. Oh, you mean that completely fake story that we were all called crazy for talking about? NATO and Ukraine would never happen because it's a red line. Amazing how narrative shifts and suddenly the thing that was fake news is real. And even then they can't acknowledge we were right. It's that you were still wrong, but things are different now. Ah, great. Self-serving narratives are so much fun. The point ultimately is that they're literally going NATO, NATO, NATO. And then what happens? You know what happens? Well, when they're part of NATO, even though they're already calling them a de facto part of NATO, is that if anything happens in Ukraine, if Zelensky goes, Russia did this, Article 5, boom, everyone has to act. That's even already been floated. Don't forget this. We already talked about this. 
Lindsey Graham and Senator Blumenthal stood up and literally said, if something happens at the plant, it's Russia. And if they do that, well, we need to trigger Article 5. NATO, we'll bring them to NATO with Article 5. Okay. Well, guess what, though? You don't just get to trigger Article 5 after the fact. You don't induct somebody into NATO after a bombing and then trigger Article 5. That's quite frankly not even legitimate. None of it really is. But the point is, that's why I argue they're going to find a way to bring them in now. And that's actually what Zelensky is arguing. I love this. This is like this is like Netanyahu with his red red crayon. <laughs> it's like, do you need the display, you child? Now, here is the discussion of this. This is from June 23rd, where they literally proposed that any any use of tactical nuclear weapons by Russia, which of course or Belarus, or a proxy of Russia. So literally anything that we just deem Russia's actions, which they would say that to literally numerous things they can't prove, or if Zelensky does something and says Russia did it, we've already seen that they just take it at face value because they, that's just like with Syria. They have to. That's what they've already committed themselves to. They say, or the nuclear facility destruction, which will lead to the entry of radioactive elements in the territory of NATO members' countries and cause serious damage, should be considered an attack on all of them. And the use for Article 5. They're not even in NATO. And they're literally laying the table for if anything happens right now, that they're just going to pretend that means we were attacked. And there we go. Like, the fact that this belligerent lunatic is literally floating this out. That's this guy right here. They've already set the table. Do you really think that they will step back if Zelensky pushes this forward? Or let's just say Russia does take some kind of action. It's not even nuclear. The, the destruction of the plant itself, that it doesn't cause a problem. They will still be forced to take action. We've seen that same thing in Syria. Well, there's a totally not real journalist saying the situation at the plant, you know, way over there, you know, totally not on the ground like a lot of people in Ukraine, saying this is Kiev says the Russians have placed explosives today on top. Great. So Ukraine says that's what, that's what journalism is today in the West. But guess what? The thing he doesn't want to tell you is that the IAEA that was literally there said that wasn't true and then said the same thing today. But, you know, this guy's real serious, so you can tell he's honest, right? You know, facts aside, totally honest. Vanessa Bealy also also points out a special radiological control aircraft has arrived in Europe. Hmm, it's almost like they prepared for something, the U.S. government. The U.S. Air Force, uh, this, this plane has been deployed to the air base in Crete from the same base. RQ-4B Global Hawk Reconnaissance UAVs and these other aircraft are take off to the Black Sea region. The point is that this is not new. Despite the rhetoric, there's been this back and forth, bombing back and forth, shifting of who has control for months now. So for them to only now bring this, even though the threat's been present the whole time, it speaks to their knowledge of something. But they, that Mr. points out, the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, has already had to admit that this isn't happening. Here's what Freddie Pontoin, it's the clip, saying that they've said it's not happening. ...of Ukraine, whom I know very, very well and with whom I've been in contact regularly and meeting with him personally. What I can say is I, I, I was there. Uh, I, I, I did not see this kind of uh, development our teams are there and they are reporting every day uh, what, what's happening. I'm not prior to this intelligence uh, report that you are referring to. Right. So uh, you don't think that uh, there will be a Russian attack on, on the planet? It's not what you're uh, seeing. What I'm saying is that we don't see what you just said. 
in terms of the future, uh, I wouldn't be so, uh, you know, adventurous into getting to, you know, what is going to happen or not happen there. I think anything can happen. This is what worries me. Right. Right. So as much as they're trying to be political, his point is there's no evidence of that is what he's saying. Well, anything could happen. There's no evidence of that coming from the International Atomic Energy Agency, which his entire mandate is to report on stuff just like that. They're there. Now, he was there when this was stated, and he said, I didn't see that, what he was saying. So you have to consider that either, and then realize also that how pathetically embarrassing it is that the very same corporate media across the board would scream about the IAEA and what they say if they said the opposite. But the fact that they didn't, it's weird how it's just ominously absent from any coverage, except, you know, you get the guy standing there 100 miles away going, danger! RT points out, according to the advisor to the general director of nuclear plant operations agency, uh, uh, Rosner Grotum, <laughs> Ukraine is planning to strike the power plant tonight with a missile containing a nuclear, a, a dirty bomb. Here's what RT is reporting. Is planning to strike the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant overnight on the 5th of July with a missile containing a nuclear dirty bomb warhead. That's according to the head advisor to the general director of Ross Energo Atom. Let's get more details on this and cross live to RT correspondent Steve Sweeney, who's in Donetsk. Uh, Steve, what do we know so far? Well, we've heard the report that uh, Ukrainian forces are allegedly planning to uh, launch a strike against the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant with a Tochka-U missile armed with a dirty bomb, a nuclear, uh, a nuclear armed with nuclear uh, waste. Now, this don't forget, by the way, that the Tochka-U missile was the very same one that they pretended Russia used in regard to, I think, the, the train station, right? I mean, it's just the overlap is very obvious. And as I proved at the time, that's this old Soviet-era weapon that there's no reason that Russia would use. It's because these things, as I've proven to you, and even the Wall Street Journal covered, were shipped to Ukraine before this started. Under the guise that they were used to learn how Russia's uh, material worked. But that makes zero sense because they're not using those. What it was used for is this. To carry out attacks and say, Soviet-era, that's Russia. It's so clumsy, guys. And you, you think I'm wrong. I've, I've proven this on the show. Whether that's this or not, you can decide for yourself. But that is what has happened. We talked about Bucha. We talked about the train station. These things are proven. That's why they don't really get brought up anymore except for just, you know, side references to it. This comes after uh, both Russia and Ukraine have been trading barbs over the past few weeks with each side accusing the other of launching or about to launch an imminent attack. Then on Tuesday morning, Ukraine uh, cut the main external power line to the nuclear power plant, causing it to rely on backup supplies. Now, this is a power line uh, that ensures uh, nuclear security and nuclear safety. Okay, so they shut off the power to a plant, the power that's necessary to maintain the security of the location. Do you know what that is? That's step one. So if Russia is unable to maintain this, you could argue that could cause a meltdown or cause some kind of reaction, which they just told you, well, they'll blame that on Russia. Russia's in control of it, right? There's a reason you're only hearing this on certain platforms. This is what's happening. I find that alarming. Causing the International Atomic Energy Agency chief, Rafael Grossi, uh, to raise concerns over the, uh, the precarious situation at the plants. Now, 
the plant has been under the control of Russian forces since March. It's Europe's largest, but it is. Take a look at that. Okay, guys, this is not fake, right? The idea is that this they're sabotaging this right now. And that, and even the IEA got before, the guy, the guy said it's not what's happening. And I'll show you, today, he followed up again today, saying that's not what's going on. Come under frequent attack and frequent shelling from Ukrainian forces, prompting Russia, uh, the Russian ambassador to the United Nations, to send a note around the Security Council uh, just last week, calling on the General Secretary, Antonio Guterres, to force Kiev to stop its provocations. Now, in turn, Zelensky, uh, the Ukrainian president, fired back and he accused Russia of planning uh, an explosion at the site. And uh, he said that this could be carried out at some distance if the Ukrainian armed forces weren't allowed to get closer uh, to the uh, site. Now, now, think about the, the lack of logic there. So they're arguing that they're, that Ukraine is claiming they're they're bombing the location or you know in some areas cutting off the power because they that basically well let me hear it again at some distance at the site and uh, he said that this could be carried out at some planning uh, and explain uh, the Ukrainian president fired back and have to stop its provocations now right right okay I admit that first part so the point is Russia speaking and we've covered this already that Russia speaking up and saying look they need to stop taking these attacks, firing at the plant, taking the kind of the same things that were happening in reverse, by the way. So it's not unique to Ukraine. Russia was doing similar things and, and Ukraine was saying it's a threat. Right. So now Russia takes the location and they do the same thing, but it's not a threat. That's weird. The point is that Russia finally brings it to the international table and says, this is happening. They're the threat. It needs to stop. When that happens, Ukraine goes, but they're planning a bomb up at the top. Right. With no evidence. There's zero evidence that's happening other than Zelensky saying so. Not doesn't mean it's not true, but there's no evidence for it. But then there's the lack of logic. So you're telling me that your game is to bomb the location because there's explosives and that's your way to stop it from being a problem. (laughs) You see what I mean? When you think you barely poke into what this guy Zelensky says, it is always falling apart. I guess they just have a bad choice. You know, Guaido, Zelensky, they're not really good at picking these people anymore, right? In turn, Zelensky, uh, the Ukrainian president, fired back and he accused Russia of planning uh, an explosion at the site. And uh, he said that this could be carried out at some distance if the Ukrainian armed forces weren't allowed to get closer uh, to the uh, site. Now, the International Atomic Energy Agency replied by saying, well, actually, there is no evidence to suggest this. Now, let's remember that they have a team permanently based uh, at the nuclear power plant. They report every day. And Grossi again replied and he said, I never argue with the president of Ukraine. I could only say that I was there and did not see it. Our teams are reporting there every day. Now, this was a response to Zelensky's claim that uh, Russia had taken in uh, 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 cars with explosives to the nuclear power plant and had also mined the area. So why? So again, so they're going to bring cars with explosives into the plant while they're occupying it. Now, you could argue they're going to leave and explode it. But how does that suit their agenda? Like, you know, the idea of blaming the like, look, even the idea that they would arguably do this and blame Zelensky. How does that benefit them? They're the only the only the lie that they're losing the war is not true. Fun, objective reality shows you the opposite. Very clearly, based on even plenty of U.S. intelligence and people on the in part of the government's even saying that. So the bottom line is they're not losing this. But even if they were, it still doesn't make sense. But at the end of the day, they don't they they. They're arguably, they claim anyway, fighting for the people, which I can prove I think they're doing in many ways, like Donetsk and other areas. 
So if they allow this to happen and they carry out a nuclear explosion or even a dirty bomb, that's going to affect both Russia and Donbass and the areas. Like it just, there's zero logic to it. Oh, but I forgot. He's just a maniac. So there it is, Ryan. That's all you need. That has been denied by the International Atomic Energy Agency. Now, of course, these are very, very worrying times, and this could lead to the biggest nuclear catastrophe. And you get the rest of it from there. I want to play you a clip from Colonel McGregor telling you about what he thinks is going on. I think this is important. Else lurking in the background that your viewers need to keep in mind that I think was also on Prigozhin's mind, though I can't prove it. Zelensky has talked of late several times about attacking the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. That's a very dangerous thing because it could conceivably radiate and cause terrible destruction thanks to the radiation if the, one of those reactors was destroyed. Zelensky has been pushing it. Budanov, who works for him and runs the uh, intelligence side of the house in Ukraine, has been actively advocating for it. All the time, almost from the very beginning, there has been a concern in Moscow about the potential for a quote-unquote dirty bomb. And that this dirty bomb, implemented by the Ukrainians, obviously with this nuclear power plant, could be then presented as a false flag. Because ultimately, people in, in Washington, uh, the president, people like Graham and Blumenthal, who just sponsored this legislation, which would trigger an automatic war with Russia uh, under such circumstances, that's crazy. I think they, there's a fear that this is quite real. And once again, that the longer they wait to act decisively, the more likely something like this is to happen. And then you really do have a wider war, which no one in their right mind wants right now. And he means at people, I would argue. I think that there's plenty of, of people that do want that for their own personal reasons. But ultimately, I've heard this quite a bit lately. You know, that the idea is in the beginning that the Russian government essentially didn't take it seriously. Like, well, no one's stupid enough to take a nuclear war. And then you start to see examples where it seems like it's actually likely or possible. You know, and you could argue that this is the point coming for the same reason you've got plenty of Americans that perceive any Arab as a terrorist. You've got plenty of Americans right now that perceive anything Russian or anybody Russian as a bad Nazi bad guy or whatever their arbitrary fact-free perception is about. Same thing. So we can't even wrap our mind around the fact that Russia is not just trying to take over the world. So stupid. People are so gullible, but I don't think it's most people today. I really don't. Clandestine points out the International Atomic Energy Agency has been monitoring the plant for months at the request of Russia. Today, they report there is no evidence of planted explosives at the plant. Especially, essentially, the UN said Zelensky is a liar. <laughs> here is a, oh, actually, excuse me. I, it's just right here. You can read it. It's exactly what it says. IEA has seen no sign of explosives at the plant. This is posted today. Here, he says, meanwhile, the head of defense committee of the British Parliament has said in black and white, Great Britain should directly enter the war with Russia. Well, look at that. So if you know, as he's stating right here, that they want to be involved in the war, or they need to be, or they should be, there's an easy way to make that happen. Now at war in Europe, we need to move to a war footing. We are involved in that. We've mobilized our procurement processes. We're gifting equipment. We need to face Russia directly and reckon that rather than leaving Ukraine to do all the work. Right. So there you go. The fake thing that was fake before is absolutely happening now. That they're absolute. That's always been the point. And it's always been a Western war. Always. From day one. Concerned Citizen points out, interesting point that a lot of people are missing in this, biolabs in Ukraine. 
The people who sincerely were led to believe there was a genuine Russian coup last weekend haven't heard the story. This is how far removed from reality they are. It's not their fault. They just haven't figured out they're fully being lied to by almost every single media institution. I agree. Here's something else happening. In particular, the investment fund Rosemont Seneca, which is headed by Hunter Biden. Rosemont Seneca Partners is the firm tied to Hunter Biden, the U.S. president's son. And the Russian defense ministry is listing uh, financial entities that are involved in these bio labs in Ukraine. Now, they also listed George Soros's Open Society Institute uh, and Open Society Foundations, uh, which are also involved with them, and uh, as well as the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine and the Ministry of Health of Ukraine uh, and the U.S. Department of Threat Reduction. Uh, um, all of them seem to be tied in with these bio labs, um, and it appears that, uh, that that Rosemont Seneca Partners, uh, the reason that they would be involved is because they have a relationship with Metabiota and Black and & Veatch, which are main suppliers of Pentagon bio lab materials. Now, uh, Moscow is also coming forward and saying uh, that it appears these biolabs are connected uh, with institutions uh, and research organizations that are related to nuclear missiles. This is what was said. The scale of the program is impressive. In addition to the military, the U.S. Agencies for International Development, the George Soros Foundation, and the Center for Disease Prevention Control are directly involved in its implementation. Scientific supervision is carried out by leading research organizations, including the Los Alamos National Laboratory, which developed nuclear weapons as part of the Manhattan Project. All these activities are carried out under the full control of the Pentagon. Now, the over 30 biolabs are accused by Russia of being involved in weapons development and trying to develop biological weapons. Now, the USA denies this and insists they are simply research facilities. Um, and we did hear acknowledgement of these facilities' existence from U.S. Undersecretary uh, Victoria Nuland. Ukraine has... Uh biological research facilities. We are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. The fact that, uh, that she expressed this concern about their possible... It just shows you that they're obviously weapons. It doesn't matter if they're not, they don't perceive them that way in the hands of their allies. It's a weapon. And those are dangerous biolabs and they shouldn't exist. We've covered this extensively. There's a lot of interesting overlaps there. We've already talked about Metabiota. We've talked about Hunter Biden. We've talked about, I mean, the overlap of Bill Gates, George Soros. I mean, clearly, guys, there is a bigger thing going on than any one of these independent agendas. And we got to start seeing it that way. Here's an interesting point to finish this segment. Military briefing. Ukraine provides ideal testing ground for Western weaponry. Oh, look at that. Now, I, there's a lot more I can get into, but I just kind of simplified this just for time. Kiev's Western allies can actually see if their weapons work, how effectively they work, and if they need to be upgraded. For military industries of the world, you, can, you, could, you can't invent a better testing ground. Great. So you're being tested on in a thousand different ways, including war. Down here, the other most important part. This is all additional proof that we are powerful partners who are de facto NATO country. They see themselves that way right now. Just make sure you understand that. That's the, the defense minister speaking from Ukraine. Well, so you're being tested. So yet again, you're an example that we're testing defense weapons for the defense industry on unwitting Ukrainians and Russians and Donbass individuals. Oh, you know what? I think I, I moved. Did I have that in here? 
Well, I had a part that I was going to include. Oh, I did. It's just right there. That's why. Well, before we get to that, well, I guess since I, since I brought it up or was going to, the point is about testing ground, right? Well, you remember this. We talked about this extensively before. The battle proven. That's the Israeli statement for weapons they test on the Palestinians illegally. Every day, all the time that nobody cares about. And every time they sell them, they say they're battle proven. Because they were used on Palestinians without weapons in many cases. That's not a joke. I mean, it's, this is an article written. Many people have covered this. Weapons Expo shows one way Israel profits from occupation. Well, guess what? It's happening now in Ukraine. Bet you the Israelis are involved there too. The government, as well as the United States. Wyatt Reed points something out, though, that perfectly overlaps with what this is showing you. That the people using this country don't care about the country or the people, just like they don't care about you or the country we're living in. Here's what uh, Vice News maybe inadvertently let out. The support that you need there. We asked him if you have the support you need, talking to a Ukrainian military Representative. Well, let's finish, hopefully, <laughs> before three hours, with a discussion of the Philly shooter. I'm probably going to skip some of the things in here. We can get back to to another show. But Travis points this out. Happening now. Now, this was yesterday, during 4th of July. Kim Brady Carricker, a transgender BML activist, and the people dispute that, is the suspect in the Philadelphia shooting that killed five adults and injured two children. And one of the, apparently some of these, the child, one of these children are, is in critical condition. The police have yet to find a motive. Families were enjoying a 4th of July event when the open fire on innocent civilians then killed another man in his home. And I believe he actually killed the man in his home first and then, and then went out and shot. Once again, it, the left is blaming guns and not the mental health crisis plaguing our nation. Or other things we could include, right? Well, first of all, what's really interesting is this is one of the pictures of this individual. Now, there's an important point to make here about how selectively they choose to look at things. Right now, today, if you saw this person on the street, what would you say? Well, at the very least, you would say, well, I'm, we're supposed to at least assume that we're not going to call that person. What you know? Or, well, first of all, whether you think you care or not, I don't think we should have to care. But if you want to, the idea that, oh, we can't misgender them, right? What does that mean? Now, you could look up all sorts of articles that say there's a difference between cross-dressing and trans. And sure, fine, that, that probably is. But what you can prove today is that there's plenty of people who dress like women, but that have compl- everything else completely male anatomy, but call themselves transgender, right? In fact, there's a lot of that. And they go, well, I just, you, you, better, you don't know what I represent or what I identify as, and that's called transgender. And you can get into this. In fact, since I'm saying that, we'll look right now at the definition. A transgender person is someone whose gender identity or gender expression does not conform to that typically associated with the sex they were assigned at birth. Other definitions of transgender also include people who belong to a third gender or else conceptualize transgender being as a third gender. And the term may be defined very broadly to include cross-dressers. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Well, it could. So when people come out and call this a transgender shooter because of multiple images of this person dressing like a woman at different times. 
Is it really that far-fetched to say transgender? Isn't that what they would suggest you use today? Ah, except when it's somebody carrying out a shooting. Now let's get into what CNN says about this. Now I find it really telling that this is actually one of the only places I found this in the CNN article. This is yet today. It says, the suspect accused of killing five people, including a 15-year-old boy in the shooting in Philadelphia Monday night, was held without bail after the preliminary arraignment on various charges, including murder. Kim Brady Carricker, 40 years old, is also charged with attempted murder and carrying a firearm without a license. He was not required to enter a plea. He had an AR-15 rifle, handgun, scanner, tracking emergency, bulletproof vest, ski mask, all sorts of stuff. Wasn't carrying a ghost, or was carrying what they called a ghost gun. Very important part of this that I think is, you know, just using for the agenda. Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner comments on this. He says the suspect appeared to have no connection to any of the victims, he said, and the victims did not appear to have connection with each other. Talking in the point was talking that he and, you know, calling him a man. The district attorney's office initially referred to the suspect using they them pronouns based off information he had at the time. The DA's office is now referring to the suspect as a male. Now, how does that even make sense? At the very least, guys, what does that show you? That they assumed, just like the shooter before, that was, remember how ridiculous that was when they were saying, I think it's right here, the, this shooter from Tennessee? Remember how ridiculous it was that they actually came out and were like, we have to respect the pronouns? Right. That's dumb. That this person is a murderer. The last thing we should care about is what they, they're worried about what we call them. But my point is that, so this district attorney came out, saw the same pictures, and called the, said they, them. They're, they, they, them. Okay, so for anybody else to just label this a transgender person, it's the same reason. It makes just as much sense as what they assumed that they would say they, them. Right? Okay, or there was evidence this is the case, and they just realized they would deem it something different, and now they're going forward calling it calling the male. This seems really suspicious, doesn't it? think that was it in here now let's go to the next one here is the new york post bml activist who wore women's clothes that's it, contorting themselves into it's interesting the way they want to say this cops haven't yet publicly disclosed the suspect's identity which is interesting because everybody seems to have already you know this is how the internet works today it's saying on his facebook page character posted two pictures far more than that by the way so even new york post is missing the, missed the point of himself wearing a bra a woman's top and earrings with his hair braided and blah 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 I think that was it in here. And you can see some of these pictures they're showing. But here's what Vice News decided to say. The far right. So people, right-wing people. So everybody who's not what they think is far right today is already using the Philadelphia shooting to smear trans people. I, how exactly is it smearing trans? Some people, sure. But the point is that pe- just anybody saying this is a trans shooter is smearing trans people. Well, there's already been a trans shoot. There's plenty of examples of all sorts of violence. So it's a strange stance to take. Obviously, we know what Vice News is really doing. It's about propaganda and selling the narrative. There's no evidence the suspect was trans. That's the first thing they say. Oh, no evidence. No evidence? Like, okay, this is where I take issue with how ridiculous these people are. You're more, it's more important for you to scream this narrative, just like when you tried to pretend that these people in Ukraine who were trans were afraid of Russia, even though when you literally read your own article, they made it clear that they were afraid of the Ukrainian military and, their, and the police. And, but yet you, the title said the opposite. You guys are pathetic. It's just so clear that they're going for a certain political agenda. But the point is, evidence does not mean proof. 
It just means evidence. So what would evidence be? That they, they're dressing like a woman. That's one evidence point that could suggest they're trans. So when they say there's no evidence and then go on in this very article to point in at least one of these images, it shows you how dumb and ridiculous people are. It shows you that you these people, Vice and the rest of these people that would do this, are, and it also it shows you that they're completely in line with a certain agenda, even if it counters the truth, but it shows you that they can't I'll make two points in this. We go through it where they, if they have to lie so blatantly, when you can so easily show that that's not true, what does that tell you? They don't have an argument. And then of course, the only thing else they can do, well, he also posted repeatedly about pro guns and did Trump. Why? Because there's no, I know, there's, I know of transgender people that support Donald Trump. It's so stupid to pretend that everything everywhere only fits into their two fake boxes. That's how this game is played. Well, if he has, likes guns and Trump, then he can't be transgender. It's just so stupid. It's actually insulting to some people, I would imagine. A 40-year-old man has been charged with five counts of murder after he allegedly shot victims at random. Allegedly. Like, I just, what is your game here? Are we, are you taking, are you pretending that we're not sure that people were shot? Even before law enforcement officials named the suspect as Kim Brady Carricker on Wednesday morning, Republican lawmakers and members of the far right were falsely claiming the suspect as transgender. And are using this, the way they're trying to make that sound is they said this before they ever saw the pictures and knew what was going on. No, because the point was, as we just read to you, that the, the cat was out of the bag before the police announced who it was. It says on his now deleted Facebook page, which is always so telling to me, and sometimes that doesn't happen, but clearly this time it was deleted immediately. Reviewed by Vice News, of course, he posted repeatedly about his Second Amendment rights, his pro-gun stance, his support for the former President Donald Trump, and disdain for Joe Biden. Of course, that means he can't be a a transgender person because he has left-leaning ideas. What about the possibility this is a left-leaning person pretending to be a right-wing person? I guess we can't even fathom that except when it leans in your direction, right? But members of the far right have jumped on a handful of pictures posted on the account three months ago that show the suspect with long braided hair and wearing women's clothing. These images were enough for Taylor Green to conclusively state another trans shooter. Okay, well, my point the same. If even the defense attorney came out and made the same point, are you calling them out? I don't see anywhere in Vice News where you're saying the DA is, is a transphobic person. Why? Didn't they do the same thing? Ah, you see, because it's a selective selective outrage based on politics because you guys are children. But the point is, you can obviously argue this is a transgender shooter based on the definitions that are floated today. But that couldn't, maybe it's not true. The point is, the person's dead now. We don't, we can't. But I argue the fact that they quickly scrubbed everything is, makes it much diffi- more difficult to find out. Citing an article published by a far-right conspiracy blog, Post-Millennial. Beyond the pictures posted on the suspect's Facebook account, there is no available evidence to suggest they're transgender. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second. Didn't you right here say there's no evidence? No evidence. And then not seven, what, eight paragraphs later, you say beyond the pictures. Ah, so there is evidence then. See my point, guys? These people shouldn't be taken seriously. That is embarrassing. So there is evidence, but you say there's none up there? Got it. So there's evidence that it is possible that they're transgender. Members of the far right also jumped on a single image of a clenched fist. Right. Well, isn't that iconic? Yes, that's, that is the symbol. It's not just a clenched fist. It was the Black Lives Matter symbol, which I'll show you in a second. So maybe they posted it because they didn't believe in it, but that doesn't usually make much sense. 
Maybe they were a right-wing person pretending to be a left-wing person. Maybe they were a left-wing person that pretended later to be a right-wing person. The point is that they would make these arguments, in, and they have, when it suits their narrative. The speed with which pundits and politicians on the right exploited the, the, tree, the tragedy to spread transphobia hate is part of a much broader campaign by the right to undermine LGBTQ protections. Oh, that's because they just hate trans people and want to remove their protections? What protections? What protections have they removed? Go ahead, Vice. I'm waiting. Oh, you mean the, the children surgery laws or, or, the, or the, the sexual explicit content being removed from children? Is that protecting them when they're able to watch people half naked read them stories? LGBTQ people have all the same protection under the law as anybody else. They have all the same human rights as anybody else. And again, shows you how childishly, intellectually dishonest you are. Go high five Mehdi Hassan. You guys will make great friends. The point is that this is exactly what the other side does every stupid day we talk about two-party politics. What do they do? Well, they exploit black people against the Republicans. They exploit all sorts of minorities or other groups against the right-wing side. Isn't that what they do? Exploited the, the different tragedies when they point out a Muslim shooter and say, Bow! or point out a white supremacist shooter that they call because he's white and we don't know, and say, that's a right-wing thing. Okay, so how is that not exploiting the tragedy to spread hate for right-wing people? Right? I mean, quite literally the exact same thing. But okay, so the point is, if you force them to say it, that right-wing people are dangerous. So it's okay to point out that they're bad. We think that transgender people are all good no matter what, even the ones we don't want to look at, even the ones committing all kinds of predator acts. But that's, I'm not saying that's even the majority. I'm saying it does exist in it, though, like any other category. But because they don't want to see it as a potential problem, even if the person shoots people, they just pretend it's exploiting it to make it what they want. And yes, that is also happening in some cases. But this is just sad, isn't it? Endangering the lives of people of the community. How? How are you endangering lives, undermining protections? That the point is they're undermining their protections of law, which then endangers their lives. That's based on laws restricting children in their engagement with sexual content and surgeries on children. That's what they're turning into endangering lives. In March, many on the right used the shooting death of six people at Tennessee to demonize LGBTQ. It was a trans person that murdered kids. Is, is That's not worthy of condemnation? Apparently not if they're transgender today. After the 28-year-old shooter was identified as a trans person. And even then, they kind of walked away from that. If it was any other person with any other color, it would have been a 45-day cycle of everything that happened. Quote, how much hormones like testosterone and medications for mental illness was a transgender Nashville shooter taking? As much as I despise Green and the rest of the two-party illusionists, isn't that a valid question? Didn't we just quite literally read an article about this coming directly from a whistleblower that worked at this clinic who is a left-wing supporter and who is married to a trans man? Yeah, we did. We'll get to it in a second. That's, I highlighted that very part where they literally says, well, you know what? Let's just read it now. This is the article we just talked about. I thought I was saving trans kids. Now I'm blowing the whistle. This is, it's, it's powerful. The whole thing is worth your time. We read basically all of it the last show. But this is one of the most disconcerting parts. She says, besides teenage girls, 
which was the new kind of like exploding group. It used to be mostly young boys. Weird after all the politics, it's shifted. Another new group was referring to it, was referred to us. Young people directly from the, their own hospitals inpatient psychiatric unit. By the way, she proves all of this on the emergency department or the emergency department. So they were knowingly funneling people from their own psychiatric unit into the trans hospital to get surgeries and providing them with the hormones to treat what? Things like schizophrenia, PSTD, PTSD, bipolar disorder, two, actually all of which have featuring characteristics of believing things that aren't real. But not this, though. They are actually trans because we told them that. Often, they were already on a fistful of pharmaceuticals. So what? There's no, there's no honesty? I mean, the point is, even if that wasn't the case, going, oh, sorry, back to where we were. Even if that wasn't the case, you can quite literally prove that a lot of these, most of them, in fact, are actually under some kind of medication. Well, first of all, most Americans are. And that very clearly has an effect on your mental capacity, your mental, under, your mental picture. But when you add all of these body-altering, mind-altering substances, then you add all the things that actually affect your even neurological makeup, then even add the injections they're taking like most of the country. Absolutely a valid question, but of course, it's only dangerous and insulting when it's the right kind of person. Everyone can stop blaming guns now. Why would you blame guns anyway? Did the knife kill somebody? Do we even make that argument? How is that any different? Right? Because guns are something that are important to a political agenda. Simple as that. Well, insultingly enough, they even made the argument that there's only, I mean, this is just three of them of the person very clearly resembling a female based on previous images you can see. In one case, even having breasts, but we're going to pretend like this is totally not a transgender overlap here. Look, I could be, I'd be, I could tell you, it could just be some, a man who wants to be a trans or a, a, a crossdresser which at least according to their weird and arbitrary narrative is that that could be not transgender. It's all these weird lines drawn that make no logical sense. But either way, that's possible. But it's amazing that they just choose to ignore that. Here's even a different one that I don't think most people have seen. This is from the, her, her, his SoundCloud. These pictures look like women. And when you look at the picture that they're using to, to show him, it doesn't. It, he's very, very masculine. Right, So now I'm wondering whether this was an old image that was used. There's two older ones floating around and mugshots, so he's clearly been in and out. If this is what this person looked like very recently, I'm starting to question whether or not, because one of these is from like right last year. I'm wondering whether this is another old one that was used to kind of cover something up. Just a thought. Here is another interesting point. This is what Heavy.com points out. Kimberly Carricker wrote about guns, gun rights and anti-violence programs on Facebook. So you'll find a lot of these, you know, a lot of these posts are very seemingly and are, you know, what you would perceive as pro, like right-leaning, pro-gun, talking about Biden being bad, you know, making fun of Biden and, you know, all these different things. Like this one's interesting though. Government's worst fear. I got your back, brother. Coming together. Interesting. That's the last thing they want. And then like, again, these kind of posts. Now, what's weird is you find a lot of focus on the pro-Trump, pro-right stuff, right? But then if you, on other focuses and other articles, here's another one, by the way. I mean, it's a different, same time frame, but it's a different picture. So there's pl- so Vice pretending there's only a couple pictures are lying to you. Again, if they have to lie about such basic things, I think that shows you what they're, what they're doing. 
when we get into other points in this, I think I included them. The point is there's a lot of discussion about left-wing stuff, left-wing stuff. So I'm really genuinely asking whether this was somebody who was being taken advantage of. Government, you know, MKUltra, who knows? But the point is that maybe it was somebody being playing another side, convinced they were going to be part of some kind of operation and then taken out. That stuff happens. BML supporter Kimberly, Kim Brady Watson Carricker named as suspect in Philadelphia mass shooting. This is from the far right platform they're pointing out, the post-millennial, which is right, but you know, far right is kind of over the top. On Facebook, Carricker was seen posting in support of Black Lives Matter, which again, it shows you that Vice is saying, where was it? You know, right here. Also jumped on a single image. That's the one they're talking about here, right? Well, here's post-millennial, you know, the far-right fake news outlet that clearly found a few more. (laughs) Good job, Vice News. You guys are great at your job. But it's saying that they support Black Lives Matter. There's a couple examples. Black News, Black Lives Matter Philly. They they were following these and follows Black Lives Philly. But it says Black, and this is a post directly from this person. Black Lives Matter today. There There will be jobs available. Equal opportunity finally. Just tell us where are you're quitting so we can send someone over. Carricker wrote that in, in Facebook comments responding to a story of workers going on strike for black lives. Weird, right? So it's hard to see these two things in the same picture, right? The same pro-gun, anti-Biden, right? But my point is, guys, that's only when you view the world through a left-right paradigm. People are capable of holding these views simultaneously. It's just because so people are so childishly tapped into what they think they're supposed to think under a certain paradigm that they act like these things aren't possible. So it could be that it's a left person pretending to be right or right pretending to be left, or it could just be a person, a trans person who has lost their mind based on any number of factors who actually hold these values or an honest person that was taken advantage of somehow and driven to do this or convinced to, or there's all sorts of possibilities, but that's typically why this one is actually a weird thing to mention. They put up a post that said, or a thing that says, how do you know when an evil spirit is following you? What are we talking about? You know, you could consider in a lot of different ways, government stuff, but, you know, who knows? Who ultimately knows? The point is, narrative is more important to everybody, left and right. You can read through this for yourself. This is the suspect's overall charges and everything else, calling him he and so on. Now, this, this person just saying it's even worse than that now. Oh, this person saying, well, don't expect the news to care about the shooting anymore now that they're saying that it's a trans and Black Lives Matter person. And this person says it's worse than that now. They'll focus on the shooting and tell us all that the member of the community who did the shooting, it's the one that's being persecuted. Like, the same thing. It's, it's the same thing they actually tried to do with this person here. Act like it was more of a, you know, a societal thing that caused that person to act out as opposed to what they would always do is demonize the, the Muslim shooter because just that's what they want to do. It just shows you such a childish double standard. Again, conservative slam KJP for saying the trans community is under attack just days after the shooter killed a bunch of kids that was transgender. Now, other points to get into, and I'm sure that story will develop as we find more, you know, both sides faking news all over the place and then the, the truth falling somewhere in between. The Irish Times follows up on, the, on puberty blockers, which is actually crazy that the U.S. still allows this. When most countries around the world have already stopped this very because of exactly what we're telling you. Not only that they cause infertility, but there's serious lasting problems here. And if you don't think they cause infertility, that's what blows my mind is that they're acting like that's just something everyone knows. Even to the point to where they're saying it's a choice that kids are making when I'm proving to you that most nobody acknowledges that online right now, you're called a maniac. If you say that puberty blockers cause infertility. 
Now, I don't think I had that video anymore. I think I covered over it. But we just played you a video recently of the experts at the panel telling you that this is one of the side effects that causes infertility. And that's something that you have to deal with as a parent. That's what their choice is. But we just played you the video from the people that have talked about this, that they woke up one day and realized that I didn't. I had no idea what I was doing to myself when they're 40 and they go back. It's, just, it's sad. But they have now pulled back on this in Ireland. June 27th, the health service executive is to review the use of puberty blockers in children, puberty blockers in children, following an English decision to limit the use of experimental treatment in clinical research. Wake up, guys. Just like the injection was experimental and you didn't want to consider that, this, you are being tested. There is no long-term studies here. The, the NHS in England recently announced it was developing proposals that would see puberty blockers not being made routinely available outside of research. How do we not see? That means that they allowed it thus far? Why? How is that possible when they are now going, whoa, we didn't have anything to back it up. Maybe we should test that. Yeah, you don't say. A study into the impact of the treatment on children on, with early onset, what they call gender dysphoria, is expected to begin next year. Yeah, don't you think we maybe should have tested all this before we just opened those floodgates? But politics, you know, children currently on the treatment will not be affected. So how is that even possible? So we've acknowledged that we have no idea if it's safe and we got to do some testing, but we're going to go ahead and keep you on what you're doing because. What What because? Because of their personal thoughts? Isn't safety what's supposed to matter? It's mind-blowing. The NHS's Tavistock Clinic, of course, played a role until recently in the delivery of the Irish Gender Dysphoria Service. Asked about the NHS's change of policy, the HSE said it was reviewing the latest update and would establish a group this year to develop an updated model of care for the treatment of gender dysphoria. The group will be led by a clinical expert from the relevant speciality. What? So we're pausing this because we don't even know if it's safe, but what your focus is is making sure we establish more the, the care for that and, and speak to the people that have been screaming that this is safe now when we know it's not? That's what they mean by relevance. They're talking about these same people from WPATH and the rest of them talking about standards of care based on absolute lacks of evidence. That's why we're here. And instead of acknowledging that we want to find out if it's safe, you're pausing this so you can review to give them. I mean, that's crazy to me. Where's the mention of whether it's safe or not? We're just going to make sure we update the model of care. So this isn't stopping. They're, 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 I think this is about trying to remove your focus on the fact that they're doing it. The HSE's goal is to develop a person-centered model of care and invest in the integrated service that meets the needs of transgender people. Right. Not safety. Not is this safe. We're just going to make sure we meet the needs they're saying that they need. Isn't that what's already happening? Blockers used to pause puberty. So you see my point? They're not listening. I don't think they care. It's not pausing puberty. You are making people infertile according to their own experts. But one recent report into English's gender services said there were gaps in evidence. No, there is no evidence. None. While others described the quality of evidence to support their use very low. <laughs> That's an understatement. Well, guess what, guys? The U.S. government is still not only allowing it, but actually kind of forcing this on people right now in so many different ways. Or at the very least, allowing people to force this on other people. Now, let me see where we're at. Oh, we're past three hours. Okay. Well... Uh, what I wanted to get into was the shooter for the most part. So I'm going to probably push off some of the rest of this to the next show. Let me see if there's anything. This was an important v clip. Let me do this so I don't lose what I wanted to cover for you. Well, this I'll play this last one because it's important. 
He's talking about how it's obvious that these people don't care about the facts. Like to their own statements, and I'll play it for you right now. It's all about the ideology and their morals. Like the same point we're saying about, you know, Muslims, their God is more important than law. Well, guess what? So do the trans people think that. They think their personal ideology trumps your laws. They've stated this. Here's what Woke Archive points out. People on the far left immediately label you as transphobic, even if you are slightly critical of them. They love to virtue signal to their tribe by claiming they are progressive and compassionate. But in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. I'm going to show you a clip that'll expose these leftists for who they really are. And what's good is that it's directly from the horse's mouth. This is one of those rare moments where they accidentally tell you the quiet part out loud. You'll see why they avoid engaging in dialogue with people on the opposing side. Because they know their arguments would fall apart. Let me actually just play the clip and then give you my thoughts. I hear this all the time. My daughter plays sports. What am I going to tell to her? You know, it's not fair to her to compete with this kind of person. Trans women should be able to compete without question in women's sports. Emma, there's tons of evidence regarding testosterone levels and height, strength, and speed between people with XX chromosomes and XY chromosomes. She's reading it really fast, just so what happened, and it's cut. The point is, she was saying, no matter what, trans people should be able to compete in whatever sport they identify as, which is just really scientifically ignorant. But somebody comments, which I'm surprised she actually read, that says, hey, man, or hey, woman, there's, there's, you know, I say man because as a, to everybody, but that's offensive today. The point is that there is evidence, scientific evidence, which we all know, that proves that there is a difference. The testosterone and X and Y chromosomes make a difference on body mass, on all sorts of factors that you have to acknowledge make a difference in the outcome. But here's what she admits next. She doesn't care about the outcome. It's about making these people feel better. That's it. That's, that's like the whole argument about why these surgeries are taking place. Well, we got to affirm so they feel better. Who cares if they're actually sick? It's just, it's, it's staggering how obvious this is. Here's how she responds, and it makes it very clear. Let me go back just a little bit so you can hear it again. She reads it really fast. Play sports. What am I going to tell to her? You know, it's not fair to her to compete with this kind of person. Trans women should be able to compete without question in women's sports. Emma, there's tons of evidence regarding testosterone levels and height, strength, and speed between people with XX chromosomes and XY chromosomes. Your argument is really bad on this, and you're out of your depth. I'm huh. actually not bad about this. Um, I'm 100% right on this. It, I don't give a shit about the scientific explanations. People, if they identify oh. as a woman, get to compete in sports. If that's not fair in the short term for a variety of little competitions, I don't give a shit. It. Ah, got it. Okay, so you so the truth comes out, right? You, you these dumb little sports games that you care so much about. <laughs> what a clown! Like, I mean, maybe you don't care about it, but clearly, lots and lots and lots of majority of the world does. I and not only that, and the guy makes this point in the latter part of his clip here, the, the guy who made this, that ultimately, it's it's offensive to people like Riley Gaines who spent. I mean, dedicated their lives to a high-level active sport, a high-level sport. Like, you know, people that will dedicate, like, sacrifice their entire upbringing to be able to compete in the Olympics. Like, doesn't that matter to you? Of course not. Because you're, it's more important to you because, you know, you're little sports games. That's the kind of, you know, diminishing, patronizing mindset. It's more important to this person, science aside, because it's not about science. You just admitted that, that these people feel like they're, they're allowed. Well, nobody's telling them they can't go, go compete in, a, in the agenda which you were born. But of course, that's defense. they personally don't want that. So it's about individual personal desires versus everybody else. Am I wrong on that? It's quite literally what she just said. I don't give a shit because the societal interests of including trans people in society trumps stupid competition. In society? 
So now not being a part of a, of a, of a, a sports I mean, aren't you the one diminishing the sports are stupid anyway? Like, the point is, they exist in society like everybody else. They've got rights like everybody else. They have laws protecting them like everybody else. So somehow, by not, by not forcing other people to compete with somebody who is not supposed to be competing with them based on statistics and based on facts. Like, we, I mean, bodybuilders, runners, bikers, and it's the very same outcome pretty much every time we see it. That the person who was finishing 45th suddenly wins against all the women. And it's over and over and over. The idea that she says this, and the, the, the last part was... Uh, ...the interests of including trans people in... Oh, yeah, in society. So the point is that they are forcing them into this when it's clearly a, a harmful thing for the people competing who have gone through this the right way because you don't think that they're included in society if you don't force them into a sport that they shouldn't be involved in? Like, that doesn't even logically make sense society trumps stupid competition full stop so i'm right about this you're wrong about this now it's my ball i'm going home that's what it feels like you're wrong because i'm right these are thought leaders <laughs> that is scary where's her compassion for women who have poured their blood and sweat into becoming the best they can be in their sport where's her compassion for people like riley Gaines? she sacrificed everything her social life her school life and even missed her prom all to compete at the highest level of the sport only for a biological male to claim he was female and compete against her in the female division of the sport and steal her trophy now where's her compassion for any of that what's ironic about this whole thing is that they'll cast the critics of gender ideology as bible thumping rednecks meanwhile they're the ones who are ideologically fanatical in their evangelism of kids transitioning. They take it to such extremes that they support sterilizing and mutilating children to profess their devotion to this ideological mind virus. This ideology exhibits all the hallmarks of a cult. I mean, this is exactly what happens when you choose to insulate yourself from any and all counterpoints and live in an echo chamber where everyone thinks the same. I want to end this by inviting the lady from the clip to a debate and give her all the proceedings from the event. But I know she won't take me up on it because these leftists don't believe in a marketplace of ideas. Now, I mean, it's hard to say that about every leftist. I would say that's also kind of a broad stroke. So, see, it happens everywhere. But either way, the point is that this woman is actively making an argument that is completely independent of facts and science. And she openly states that, and it, the truth comes out, which is what I keep trying to tell you with all these stances. If you really push it, they come. it gets to the point where you just believe they're bad, and that's okay because you're right and you're good. Right? So you've decided that certain ideas are good and bad. And that you're deciding for everybody else what you're allowed to think. You're not going to say that unless you really have to. That's why they're forcing censorship. They want to push people into sports they don't design. And the point is, I don't care what you think or what science says. It's what's right. And is incapable of considering whether they could be incorrect about that. Right? This happened. This is what that is to me is government manipulation. That is that's an agenda manipulating people just like her who are too simple. I, what's the right term? I don't not even stupid, just like too open to manipulation, right? Because of how they were raised, because of their points and their ideology, lost in the two-party paradigm. Now, I'm going to rapidly go through these last points. Like I, the jo Josh uh, Walkos points something out. Planned Parenthood literally just posted this. I, th this is the kind of stuff that is terrifying to me. The idea of virginity comes from an outdated, let's be real, patriarchal way of thinking. It says virginity is a social construct. Okay, so, you know, aside from the scientifically proven hymen that is there and then not afterward for everybody. But, you know, it's a construct. Like, this is just, it's, it's anti-science if there ever was. Anti-biology. But this is the kind of thing that they're pushing, and this is why we're pointing, this is, this is irrational. 
Carl Benjamin points something out. I guess he's back on Twitter. I didn't know that. I followed him the other day. The economic equivalent of this statement is a teenager posting the TikTok video to explain that we can get rid of inflation by printing more money. Basically, it's a stupid thing. And this says the Bank of England has become a national laughingstock. They literally posted this. Any gender identity can be pregnant, says the Bank of England. Again, it's no, no, that's not true. Only biological females can be pregnant. Of course, you can call yourself what you want and chop yourself up however you want. It's your prerogative. But this is the kind of thing where they force in ideology independent of fact. And as we just saw, they're willing to make that clear if they really have to. Well, this is coming to the point about something I think is interesting. We keep hearing about this. And this is how they want to frame it as they're being boxed out. And when in reality, they're more... The way that the world is treating this right now, and I'll show you one last thing on this I think is important, is obvious. It's not. It's the opposite of being marginalized, right? But now we see resumes, including they, them pronouns, are more likely to be overlooked. And of course, the whole article is, it's terrible, and they're being boxed out of society, and nobody's... Well, okay. The point is, it's. I don't even think it's genuinely... Like, if you took away the government agenda of this, and they just go back to when there was you know, a transvestite or somebody that just, oh, did these things, and they, and they were willing to put it down in a resume, which didn't used to happen. The point was back then, you might have felt differently, but in most cases, people probably would have, you know, ultimately, the bottom line is, I think it's because of the way that it's being projected right now. Why in the world would anybody want this kind of thing? The kind of people that are willing to ignore facts and science because of their personal thoughts. So you come to them one day with something that you think is important for where they work, and they feel ideologically opposed to that. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to they're gonna say no, because I think that's it. And that's why. Because you don't want somebody who's going to constantly challenge you based on things that they, based on the fact that they feel their personal thoughts are more important than yours, regardless of the power dynamic, which we've already seen. Now, is that every trans person? No, I would never make that argument because that's stupid. But it is a lot of these people that have been so entitled, just like a lot of different categories because of politics, that they're willing to act out in ways. I mean, you could just make a point about millennials in general. We all, we, we've, this is a very common point. The whole, you know, participation ribbon and the way that these people have acted like they're entitled to everything when they don't deserve anything. That's not everybody, but there are people like that. So you add that to this and it becomes a near impossible situation to manage. One day you accidentally say, okay, guys, let's huddle up. Oh my God, I'm going to sue because you misgendered me. It's like, my God, man, I, oh, oh, there we go again. You know, it's like, I don't mean those things insultingly. It's just because it's the way I was, uh, terms I've used my whole life. I, I mean, restaurant, you know, hey guys, how are we doing tonight? You know, and the point is that you could choose to be offended by that, but this is, it's just, and half the time, even if you don't want to, let's say you're genuinely trying not to, it still slips out sometimes because you've been saying it your whole life, but to them, it's a no-go. Couldn't you just be a grown-up and be like, hey, you know, it's, I, 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 it's just, it seems so childish to make this such a focal point. Why is it more important to you to be called, like, what if I decide that I call myself something ridiculous one day? Whatever. My name is now super califragilic, you know, whatever from, from some law. The point is that if, if you decided to say that I really meant it and people stopped calling me that and I got really angry every time when they didn't, it's that stupid. Shouldn't I just be like, well, I, I want to be called this. You can't if you want. The point is that they choose to make this a bigger issue than it should be because of politics. Maybe it insults you in terror. Anyway, the point is that overall, it's a word. Sticks and stones, right? We used to pretend that we were grownups. Well, over all of that, we need to remember what I keep pointing out, that three people that work at the leading transgender location, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, the, the very location they get the standards of care for, 
have spoken out and literally said sloppy treatment is being given to kids without adequate counseling. They still work there because they believe some people need it, but they're literally telling you that right now we are in a bad way. The president-elect of the entire group said she raised concerns about hasty treatment. And yet, if we bring that up, we're somehow transphobic? How do we not see that that's a problem? This, this girl did a really great uh, thread about what we just talked about, about the fact that these things do, specifically she gets into the chemicals within the, the artificial breastfeeding garbage, which is really dangerous and bad in a thousand different ways. And I just mean that from like a medical safety standpoint. But she points out some of these different drugs and at the end just basically says, you know, but the point of my thread is that they're there. We don't know if they go in there, you know, don't translate to the baby. And I just made the point that yeah, they do. Great thread. I did a segment on this. They do. Here's the FDA literally saying, point blank, note that the drug is excreted in breast milk. It's very dangerous. It can cause all sorts of heart problems, immune problems. Nobody cares, though, because, well, we got to make sure that man feels like a woman. Here's the actual post, if you want to read it for yourself, talking about exactly this. We just went over this. You can read it for yourself. Transgender Whistleblower Speaks Out. It's a good show. Now, finally, there's some videos that I was going to play, these last two, but I'll save, I'm going to show them in another show just for time. This is what scares me. June 29th, New Jersey sees 4,000%, 4,000% increase in non-binary students, weirdly enough, right after they teach trans curriculum. That's strange. So it's, it's hard to believe that you teach kids they can just choose one day, and then suddenly they do. That may not sound like a problem to you until you realize that the next step is infertility drugs and then and drugs that give you bone problems and cancer and strokes and, you know, but it's all good because they want to because it makes them who they are. No, it's not. It's dangerous. All of this is and it's provable, but you can see they don't care about the evidence. It's more about making them feel good. Don't you can't we consider that some of these people are just being taken by ideology? Well, let me play a little part of this and then we'll wrap it up. This is the most heartbreaking. It really is. This is another kid. I mean, what have we shown? Probably 50 of them on the show so far speaking out about how he was manipulated into this. I'm just wondering for the benefit of our audience to start off with, could you describe your journey of transitioning and what ultimately just led you to decide that you wanted to detransition? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, I, I had a lot of mental health issues uh, by the time I was in my mid-20s and I found the concept of gender dysphoria which aligned very neatly with my experience as somebody who was gay and even I, I just couldn't accept the fact I was gay. I hated the fact that I was attracted to males and I want, wanted to do anything to get out of it. And by my mid-twenties, there was just this huge online community. It kind of impacted a lot of the, like, the LGB discourse at 2014. And by that point, it was just a free offering to somebody who had a great deal of mental health problems. And I don't think people understand just how powerful and how... It, if you're in deep distress and somebody says to you, 
have this, you can be someone else, you can um, be a wonderful person who's celebrated, and not only that, but adored, and you do get that. And you come into this community, everyone tells you all these things that somebody with no self-esteem hasn't heard before in, in a lot of years, and all of a sudden you're only getting positive feedback all the time, no matter what it is, positive, positive. It doesn't matter what pictures you were sharing, like, it didn't matter how if you didn't look like a woman at all, they would still tell you how beautiful you were. And one quick point, and I'm not even going to stop it anymore. I just had, I want to think about the overlap with the way the FBI entraps people. That's what they do with young, vulnerable, a lot of times handicapped or mentally, you know, autistic or, or mentally challenged people. They give them what they've never got before. Positive reinforcement, friendship, love, even it's all fake. Right, but this these people, as we just showed you, being funneled in from psychiatric units, are going. Oh, you got you got psych. You're you're schizophrenic. Well, here you're probably just trans. Take this medicine. They don't hurt you very seriously. The point is that these people, in some cases, maybe a lot more than we think, are are mentally disturbed, maybe just really really sad, and then suddenly, at least they give the they give them the the potential, the sunny future. Look at this. Here's the answer you've always been looking for. You do this, everything will go away. What does that sound like if not a cult? It's not just that online community. You go into like the gender clinic, which is what I did. I found that and I found this option to transition and I went through very intensive therapy um, and all the, and it's, my story is quite a long one, but basically I entered the gender clinic um, in 2015 and the first question that asked us is if I wanted surgery, genital surgery. And at that point, I never thought about it. So the I kept putting it off question. and refusing it. But I was also getting a lot of therapy with them too. And um, over time with that, the community and this this underlying belief, which was, I'm not gay. I'm a heterosexual woman. I'm just in the wrong body and I've got a medical condition. And I thoroughly believed that. I thoroughly believed the reason that I was attracted to males and the reason that I had such a terrible time like growing up with my mental health was because I was quite literally had a physiological condition in my brain where I had... This was the only option. And obviously that got pursued. Um, my hesitation around surgery wasn't really properly addressed, but also wasn't a very well person at that time. And... I said in the conference earlier about this underestimation of how powerful these hormones are. And I was on an anti-androgen called gozerillin, and I was also on the estradiol too. And those together just feel like a really bad concoction. And um, eventually I went through with the genital surgery in 2018, and I pretty much regretted it instantly. I shouldn't have done it. It shouldn't have... Yeah, like, the amount of times I refused it should have been signal enough to leave us alone on that one. Um... And That's super important. Obviously, I'm no longer taking the anti-androgen because I don't have any uh, gonads anymore. And I just felt like this crushing realisation of clarity come. Everything was so clear after, but not before. And I really do think the anti-androgen had a big part to play in that thinking. And there's nothing more... Nothing rudely welcomes you to reality as strong as having your genitals removed. It just doesn't. Uh, it destroys your life in various different ways. And I know some One of the things is that they would give you all these treatments, right, and say that this is what you need to do. It'll make you better. And like he's saying, it feels terrible. 
right? That doesn't feel like everything's working. But what do they tell you? We've already given you examples of this. They go, no, it's okay, though. Just push through it. Once you get to the other side, everything will be better. And that's what happens. People say how great it is and how wonderful their life is, and that's superb, and I'm glad that happened for them. But there are many people like me who shouldn't have even went down that path, who are simply gay. And when they brought that up, like as I did with this intensive therapy, all of these things that could be attributed to hate myself for being a gay guy growing up was attributed to internalised transphobia. So I hated the fact that I was trans, apparently, rather than gay. And it was just like, there was no victory, no winning. And I was very upfront about my mental health issues and everything because I believed the idea that I was uh, a woman in a man's body. And the only way to lead a successfully fulfilling life is to be honest with them and tell them all these things. So I told them everything. I told them all my traumas. I told them how I felt and everything about sexuality. And all that was used to reinforce the trans identity. Not only that, but after surgery, I regretted it instantly. And I went, I resumed my gender clinic sessions. Uh, with a gender therapist about three months after when I was able to physically get there and I brought up regret. And the first thing they said was, you don't have regret, you've got OCD. And then I kept bringing it back up and they're like, oh, it's clear your OCD is really bad. We'll need to get you a new diagnosis. So I got referred to a mental health team who then said I wasn't expressing regret. I had a rumination, an obsessive rumination about going through surgery. And I also had unstable personality disorder, brand new diagnosis because I experienced regret. So you're not even allowed to say this was wrong. This was a mistake. What happens is they're like, nope, there's a diagnosis for that. And it's just like, uh, when that happens, and they just kind of reject, I got ejected after that, I don't, like, a couple of years after surgery, um, even though I was like really struggling, and I was just like, what the hell? What's going on here? So I turned to my own community, um, anonymously, online, because I dare not raise this with friends. No one wants to talk about the bad stuff in person. And... At first, it was okay, and there was there was some empathy and sympathy in that community, but I also found there was a lot of silence, and, and this line kept coming up again and again and again. Be careful who you tell. You don't know how this story will be misused. And that's such an... We keep talking about that. That was what she said when she wrote the article of the whistleblower, right? They just act like we're misusing the truth. Well, the truth is the truth, guys. Of course, it can be used to pursue certain agendas, but it's still the truth. So they're basically saying, just keep your mouth shut. So it was all about management. It was all about managing my regret rather than saying, actually, there are people who go down this path who maybe shouldn't have went all the way down or whatever. And that was enough for me to be like, this. I'm sorry for this one. Um, I was like, enough for me to be like, this is it. This is too much for me. I can't. I, I can't possibly um, continue this. And then from that reality waking up, you kind of start doing the work that you should have done, realising that actually that was nothing to do with being trans, that was to do with being gay. And there was a lot of threads like that after. And I was like, ultimately, when that thought started seeping in, I woke up and I was thinking, I can't do this anymore. I, just, I, I can't physically do it. I was putting on a walk and a voice and I was suppressing personal beliefs and exchanging them for beliefs I didn't have and I found like I was becoming a different person and it wasn't me it was someone else and I was like well 
to be honest, to be me, I need to be real. And I need to be honest about my sex. I need to be honest about my body. And that was the gateway back to what I would call objective truth of realizing physically, actually, I'm still male. <laughs> now, realize that most people that go through this, like even he, even this person was very traumatized and, you know, like before and, and had issues. But at the very least, you can clearly see this person is at least self-confident enough to at some point go, I made a mistake. I need to assert that. The problem is that most of the people that are struggling and vulnerable to go through this, we're barely able to like, there's a lot of people that were, you know, suicidal for other reasons or that are problem. And the point is they go through this and then they end up taking their life or they force this in because they just don't know what else to do. Think about how sad that is. That never changed. And I was always, I was never changing into a woman. I was just turning into a castrated new male. And that's essentially what happened to me. So something you said there, which I found really interesting was about your refusal to accept truths about your sexuality early on and as an outsider looking in i hope you don't take any offense to this but it seems like a big part of the transgender movement seems to be uh acceptance and you know we need to be accepted for this but it seems like at the most fundamental level the whole concept of transgenderism is not accepting yourself it's it's about rejecting things you, you know your own biology your own body and so it seems like there's almost a contradiction there i don't know if you would agree with that i absolutely agree with it i think it's uh transitioning has a very similar pipeline to people who are born again christians like all their previous sins are now forgotten it's a different life it doesn't matter what you did it doesn't matter who you are you're trans now and that's all that matters, which is why there is a real problem within the trans community of um, them calling out really bad behavior. They're not very good at it because no trans can do no harm. Ultimately, there's always, even if it comes down to the act of a trans person taking their own life, that's not them who did it. It was the homicide of the, the political narrative that killed that trans person, not them. So there's a lot of stuff about responsibility. Um, and as you said before, it is all about non-acceptance because you're not accepting you, you're, you're becoming someone else. And if you dared raise that subject to that individual who said, I am my true self, and it was like, who were you before then, from birth? Did, were you born untrue? Is that what you're saying? It took all those years to be true. Final word, would you have any advice to somebody who's watching this who's maybe struggling with their gender identity the way you were when you were younger? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, whatever you do, don't get surgery. Don't care how bad you think it is. Never, ever get surgery. The, con the lying to you about the success rate, the lying to you about the regret rate, um, let's go over a few things very quickly. So for women who get mastectomies, you're going to be dealing with uh, possibly scar chest. The, it might not be a, a good job in the end of it. You're going to be dealing with absolute numbness. For males who have what I had, which was a penile aversion with scrotal graft, you can't produce your own testosterone anymore. Um, you can't produce your own, um, your own hormones based. Lifelong treatment, even if you go back. That's obviously an important part. Basically, and that has a knock-on effect to your autoimmunity, um, your endocrine system, your overall health. It shortens your life. Um, it's, hormones are one thing, but surgery is a whole different bag. Don't do it. I'm going to be the person who's going to tell you not to do it. I'm not going to tell, say, go off and make your own decision. I'm going to tell you now. Do not have surgery. Do not do it.
man. It's just so hard to see how obvious this is. I'll go into this one next. I'll show this in the next show. But remember, 4,000% increase in the students after they start teaching trans curriculum. The argument they'll make is they were always trans. They finally just got the courage to speak out. Are you telling me these people didn't were aware that this was a movement until you started teaching them the, you know, in school? Obviously they did. Some of them at the very least are not, if not all of them. I'm very concerned about this. Now, I ended up playing that whole thing, obviously, just because I figured, hey, three and a half, we'll end at three and a half. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave it here, guys. Now, as much as I keep saying that, I, you know, just so you know, this could have been, this was supposed to probably be a lot longer than this. I am work doing my best to kind of condense how I do this. But some of these days, I have a lot of content I want to include. But as you know, I, as I've been saying, and I, and I am going, you will see a difference as we go forward. I'm trying to maximize and selectively choose certain areas to talk about. Today, I just thought it was important to talk about all these topics, all four of them, which I knew was going to be long. But thank you for tuning in. I Hopefully, you stayed tuned because this stuff is important. And I really do think there's in, this is interconnected across the board. There's something much bigger happening that I think a lot of people realize. So thank you for being objective and continuing to question all of this because there's so many people out there trying to mislead you. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.